Uh, uh, how are you? Pretty good. Um, I'm just failing to fight the temptation to ask you a follow-up question about mechanical keyboards right now. Uh, do it. We'll lose the whole show. Uh, did you, <laughs> there goes did the you, agenda. Did you try a keyboard, that, like some modern mechanical keyboard, as a potential replacement for your Apple Extended? No, not yet. Uh, okay. Well, sort of. I, I should take that back. I got... Uh, I am nowhere near as in deep with you. Actually, I should take this all back. I have, tried, I have tried several. I should say, uh, <laughs> we're seriously going to lose the whole show here. Yeah, I have a DOS keyboard uh, that that's spelled D A S. Like, yeah, you know, it's, like, it's uh, not DOS three point three keyboard. That would be something else. DOS is in like DOS boot. The, yes. the fantastic submarine movie. Um, I bought several years ago, and I forget what kind of switches that one has. Uh. But uh, I have since given that one to my son, Jonas, and he loves mm-hmm. it. And it is apparently a pretty decent gaming keyboard. Um, I never really liked it. It was too clicky. Yeah. And then uh, based on some recent back and forth with you, based on your, I don't know if you consider it portable, you can say, but it's your, your iPad as a writing setup. You have right, sure. the Matthias portable something something yeah it's like a bluetooth they have a bluetooth uh keyboard that's got their key switches which are not the same and and people give me such grief for it because it it does feel very old apple design school it's a big kind of puffy silver plastic keyboard mm-hmm. but it's very hard to find a good um bluetooth mechanical keyboard they're almost I, I, all just usb it is puffy puffy is a good way to describe it i all right i'm gonna put this in the uh it's just a big thing of plastic like right now now it would be kind of a metal kind of fringed thing but it's, right. it, instead it's just like a big piece of plastic and, uh, with a keyboard in it and i don't use that well it doesn't even make sense for me to use it with any of my macs because when i'm, I'm not going to use a separate keyboard with a macbook and i've got my beloved extended apple extended keyboard two on my iMac, which it's, um, I, I mean, I guess in theory I could someday find a keyboard I like better than an Apple extended keyboard two, but until I do, I won't, but I, I do just feel use like it. you need to be doing some groundwork now for that day yeah. where, where the, the last Apple extended keyboard falls apart and <laughs> right. you, you, you can just I, I, plug in something new and be like, all right, I can just keep on writing. Well, I've mentioned before that it, it, there's a decent chance that it, it depends when I replace my iMac. Um, I mean, because the thing is with the iMac, it, it'll probably be one of the last computers that Apple ships that still has the old style USB-A port in the back because there's plenty of room. Right. But surely within a handful of years, it'll be USB-C everywhere. Yeah, you just it, adapt, adapt your adapter and you just keep on going. I, I've got, <laughs> I, have, I have at one point, I adapted um, mini Firewire. 400 the the iLink Sony stuff to proper FireWire 400 to FireWire 800 <laughs> to Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 3 wow that's and it, that's and it actually... totally worked it actually worked so you know there's no end to the number of All adapters right. you can just stack on top of that extended keyboard to keep it going well, you know but if, you know someday if i want to use my extended keyboard 2 on an, a USB C only machine i'll have to go from ADB to my ADB to USB A, uh, the iMate Griffin iMate adapter, right? Uh, of which I have which two may backups. Die. Yeah, I was going to say that may die before your keyboard dies. I have two mint condition backups, but my okay. original, which I bought in 
geez, probably like 1998 or something. I would think, um, yeah. You know, and it's it, well, maybe 99, but it's, you know, it's if anybody has never seen a Griffin iMac, I believe they were all the same color. They were the iMac style Bondi blue translucent plastic, you know, as everything was <laughs> after 1998. Um but I'm still on my first one. It is a very durable little adapter. Um, but eventually I'll have to plug that into a USB to USB-C <laughs> adapter, which, you know, is nowhere near the chain that you just said you put together for data. And this is only for, for typing. But anyway, I have the <laughs> Mat- Matthias that you have. I do like it. It is certainly the favorite hardware keyboard I've ever used with an iPad. Uh, and I wish I knew which stand I have. I have a stand that I don't know that I've ever seen anybody recommend, but it's from, um, uh, geez, I could go upstairs and get it, but I have to interrupt the show and I don't want to do it, but it's, you know, what, I'll just put it in the show notes, but I think okay. it's from, uh, Belkin and it oh. just is a little foldy thing and it doesn't raise the iPad at all. Cause I don't really, I'm, I'm fine with, cause I only pretty much use it on like a kitchen counter and it's already sort of like I'm sitting on like a, you know, a, a, a quite barstool height, but you know, more than a, a floor seat, you know, like a kitchen yeah. counter seat. Um, so I don't mind that the iPad isn't raised off the thing and it folds and it has several, it, it's not like you can bend it to any angle. It has like a, a bunch of incremental steps, but there's enough of them that it's always, there's always a good one. And it's an excellent, excellent little stand because when you fold it all the way up, it, um, it's very small. And when it's open, it's very sturdy because it clicks. And so it's in addition to being a good stand for propping up an iPad for typing, it is an outstanding, it is the best stand I've ever used in what close to 10 years 10 years for ipad for watch using it as like a little tv or i guess eight oh, that's years. cool, that's uh, cool. I, I swear to god i'll put it in the show notes but it's a nice little right. stand uh i like the matthias but i don't love it it's mushy I, it yeah. bothers me it's always bothered me how many little glyphs matthias puts on the keep caps like they it, it i guess some people would like it but like they'll put little things up in the right corner to show you that option left uh-huh, bracket yeah. we, gives you exactly a, a curly quote and that option shift bracket gives you a double curly quote and vice versa. Yeah. It's, um, it's overkill. I, I get that some people really get off on the idea that like literally every character you can make with that keyboard is labeled on the keys, but that, this seems like overkill to me too. No, okay. I, I, I am right there with you. I, I've yet to find a perfect solution to any of this, but I, I'm always on the lookout because I do like, I do like not always being at my desk and being able to go to the bar in my kitchen and take an iPad and just sit there and write a little bit. Um, It's a great change of pace. And so I like that. And having a good keyboard for that, I've gone through all sorts of different kinds. And the Matthias is the one that's stuck so far, but it's definitely not perfect. And I would love to get something else. I I could attach some of my um, good mechanical keyboards, of which I have too many. Uh, with USB, but the problem there is that like the command and option are flipped because a lot of them are yeah. are Windows keyboards, and some of them have like dip switches that let you flip them the other way, and some of them aren't, and it's uh, yeah, it's too much. So and, and on know, the who map, knows? Maybe there'll be a new iPad Pro that'll solve all of these things by <laughs> something. I don't know what. On the Mac, it's not a problem using those keyboards, right? Because you can use the the system preference thing to change the... exactly. And iOS right. doesn't doesn't do that, at least not yet. You know and. uh uh, my second to last episode, uh, Marco Arment was on and we were talking about keyboards and Marco has this tip um, for 
using that, you go to the keyboard system preferences thing. It's not no third party stuff at all. It's all supported by the system and you right. can switch a bunch of modifiers. It's helpful if you have a third party keyboard, but with even with a standard keyboard, you can switch caps lock to you to be the escape. Or yeah. control. Some people love, there's like a bunch of Unix people who, there's all sorts of <laughs> Unix commands that use the control. And on on an Apple keyboard controls this little fiddly thing two to the left of, of Z. Caps lock is, you know, one of the easiest keys on the whole keyboard to hit. So, you know, either way. But uh, using caps lock for escape is pretty interesting as you know and we'll get into this later i guess talking about macbook pros but with you know without the escape key on macbook pros yeah exactly right no that's a that's a smart thing i'm so happy that apple did that there was for the longest time you always had to download weird software in order to do like slight keyboard modifications yeah and now you just don't i mean there there are so many different <laughs> things that that are just built into the keyboard uh little keyboard uh, system preference it's great there was in, the, in years past there was some truly sketchy <laughs> <laughs> low oh, level unsupported and they uh, in addition even when you found one that was like rock solid and it never didn't never didn't seem to cause any problems you'd upgrade to the new version of mac os 10 and it just would do nothing it would just be like oh and it's like you go to the you're like what's uh where's the web page and you go to the web page and it hasn't been updated in six years and it's like ah well, and there's the overkill factor, too, that I always felt is like I literally need to flip two keys on my keyboard and I've got this whole piece of software that yes. usually did like <laughs> 9,000 other things. And it's like, no, no, no. I just I do this with Keyboard Maestro now for some things where it's like, yeah, I, at least I use Keyboard Maestro occasionally for actual automation of stuff. And it's really great for that. It, it, it doesn't apps don't have to be scriptable. It's amazing the stuff that you can get it to do. But I always feel a little bit bad saying I really just want to map key A to be key B and vice versa. It's like, what a waste. But uh, you got to do it, right? You got to get the keys to be what yeah. you want them to be. I t I've been talking more about Keyboard Maestro lately, and I've been using it more lately. Um, I just did a thing. Here's an example. I really, I, I'm meaning to, it, once like the news stuff like, calms down this fall, like I'm queuing up a bunch of ideas for Keyboard Maestro stuff. But the, the idea, and, and it, it goes with my sort of recurring theme of here's why I love the Mac and can't really imagine switching to iOS full time. Not that there's anything wrong with iOS, but you could never do this on iOS file. You know, that's the tag category yeah. <laughs> for these articles um, for, for reasons that aren't worth going into. I use an app called uh, Mars edit to edit during fireball. It's a great blog editor from uh, mm -hmm. red sweater software friend of the show, Daniel Jowkett. I've been using it for years. Um, don't know quite what I would do without it. Uh, really don't. Um, and the way I have movable type set up, it writes every file, every time I write uh, a post to Daring Fireball, movable type generates two static files, one of them with a .text extension, a plain text version of the file, one with a .php. So if I write an article called uh, uh, the, uh, the talk show uh, episode 229 there'll be a file in the file system with the date it'll say the talk show 229.txt and one with the same little slug.php but then i have everything set so that the public url that everybody sees doesn't have any file extension at all right and i have apache set up my web server on the server set up with a thing called multi views so there is no actual file in the file system that matches 
the URL. And what MultiViews does is just make the best guess possible, and it defaults to the PHP version, which is what you want, which is what I want, and you see a little web page. And so you get the right version. There's no uh, file extensions visible to the user. And even if you go to the .php version, I have also I have Apache set to redirect you to the one without the PHP version. Right. And then you can go to the .text version and see my raw markdown source for any article just by adding .text to any article on Daring Fireball. Nice little, like an Easter egg. Um, now, for reasons that aren't worth explaining, in, in Mars Edit, there's a, it's sort of like a mail app. And I can go to any article and I can control click on it and I can copy the published URL. And in most blogging systems, or if I had movable types set up so that my public URLs had those .php extensions, this would all be fine. But what Mars Edit copies has .php at the end. Uh. And so, you know, a couple times a week, I want to copy, I want to get the URL for a recent article for Daring Fireball. And the easiest way for me to do it, at least in my mind, is to go to Mars Edit, not go to Daring Fireball and page down looking for it. Because it might be, you know three, four, five days ago. But in Mars edit, it's just one, you know, I can go three, four, five days down just by looking with my eyeballs. So I control click, I copy, and I either paste it into another article or I paste it into a tweet or whatever. And then, you know, for 15 years, I've been pasting and then delete, 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 delete. Sure. Um, and after 15 years of being annoyed by that every single time, because I want to delete that .php extension, even though I know that I have it set up so that if you go to that URL, it'll automatically redirect you. I just, it, it bothers me on aesthetic grounds. It's the anal retentive side of John Gruber. After 15 years of being annoyed by this, I finally thought, you know what? There's got to be a way I could fix this in Keyboard Maestro. And of course, it took me like, I don't know, two minutes to solve it. I just have a global shortcut that looks for command V in every app. And before it actually pastes, Keyboard Maestro looks at the clipboard, sees if it, <laughs> sees if it matches the, the regular expression, starting with HTTPS, Daring Fireball, ending with .php. And if it matches, strip the PHP from the clipboard. And then no matter what, whether it matched or didn't match, actually paste whatever was on the clipboard. And I've, there's the old fuddy-duddy in me who thought, well, wait a minute. You don't want to slow down pasting system-wide just so that once or twice a week you don't have to manually delete it. And, of course, it's instantaneous on a modern computer. It takes, you know, it obviously is technically slower, but it's slower by like a thousandth of a second. Imperceptible. And I'm yeah. so happy. So proud of myself. Uh, no, that's great. <laughs> I was thinking, is there a utility out there that just watches your clipboard and acts on it in different ways? But you're right. right you could just do it at paste. Well, that was and then my you first. Could chain, you could chain a whole bunch of different things. Like, oh, if the active app is this, right. then do this other thing right. based on the contents or whatever. Right. Yeah. All right. There's also. I'm sure other people have way more complicated things out there that modify their clipboard. But anyway, Keyboard Maestro is one of the most essential utilities to my life that I can ever yeah. imagine. And it, you know, I have other ones that are more important. This is like a minor annoyance, but to me, eliminating those minor annoyances is a big deal. Uh, what's the brand, the other brand of mechanical keyboard? I, you have a couple. I, I, a couple of years ago, I was talking about one, and I almost bought one of their keyboards. And it, it was the, the big problem was they had too many, too many options. It, it paralyzed me. But I, even on this show, I talked about it. They have like a little... Um, so the WASD keyboards? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, what's and they've it? got their own keyboards, and they've got the code keyboards. 
as well. And then they've got the different sizes, and then you can choose which kinds of labels you've got and what colors your keys are and what the key switches are because they right. use cherry key switches. And, and yeah, I, I have one of those, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's really nice. Although I don't usually use it because they, it's too big. I, I really have gotten into these super compact keyboards. There is, I want my trackpad as close to my keyboard as possible, and that means like the smaller. So the opposite of the extended keyboard. I want the like the least width possible. Um, but but WASD has some really nice keyboards. But there this, are a lot of them, and it, show- it, it's a tyranny of choice because it's like, oh, do I want the blue switches, the brown switches, the red switches, and do I want the the ANSI layout, or do I want the do I want the ten key list, or do I want to have the number pad, and well, you know, do I want the black keys or the or the white keys, and it just goes on and on. Here's how bad my memory is getting, Jason, and possibly yours as well. I just did a search on Daring Fireball for WASD keyboards, and uh-huh. it instantly came up. It was. The talk show episode 198 oh, yeah. with special guest Jason Snell. Oh, yeah. No, one we've year, done this, we've done this before. <laughs> I just want to point out to listeners of the talk show that I could have mentioned baseball and I didn't. Oh, God, I just mentioned baseball. Let's not talk about that. That's the ki- that's oh, the show killer. Yeah, I don't think so. I think we got to stay away from that. Yeah. It, it's too... too we, we did a nice bit about Keyboard Maestro there. I was going to even throw in the thing that blew me away <laughs> about Keyboard Maestro is that it literally, because it'll drive the UI, you can put... You can, like, take a screenshot of, like a part of the interface and say, find this and then click. And you can say like, and then click 20 pixels to the right. (laughs) And like with that, you could literally, it will drive anything. It'll do keyboard commands. It'll click on things and you can, you can get it to automate anything you can ever imagine in mac os which is amazing and i have used that because i have some apps that are completely unscriptable and i had no idea i had that yeah. sc- look at the screenshot and click on this it's amazing like huh. it, when I, I had some radio buttons that have some text on them in an app that i don't use anymore but i used for a very long time which was NiceCast from uh, rogue amoeba and it wasn't scriptable and it had a drawer that's how old the ui was it had a drawer with a radio button in it and i took a little screenshot of the radio button and the text next to it and said, find this and then click the radio button. And it totally worked. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of sad that it came to that, but it did it. It's amazing. This is really rather uncanny, though. This episode with you was literally the 25th of August last year. And as we record, it's the 23rd. The and this show will probably come out. It was a Friday, though. So I, it was Friday, the 25th of August when it was published. This yeah, show this will is... almost certainly be published on Friday, the 24th of August. And I'm this is have the, the Numino's same... <laughs> Oreos episode. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite side result of that episode a year ago was I linked not just to WASD keyboards, but WASD has a thing called the keyboard tester and it's just it, it's not an electronic device it's just a little a little thing little six, six key little strip six keys wide with one of the each of the six cherry key switches they yeah. offer and it's in addition a nice way to sort of get a basic idea of what the different key switches are although some of them are so subtly different it is it, it, yeah it's true it, but it also makes for one of my favorite desk toys of all time <laughs> It is one of the greatest desk toys of all time. I've I've had it on my desk ever since. And uh, the funny side effect of that is I got an email from like the CEO of WASD Keyboards like, like a week or two later. And he was like, I had no idea what was going on. We sold out of the keyboard testers. 
<laughs> like we sell like we sell like three a week, and all of a sudden we sold out of all of them in a day. And I I thought we were hacked, and then I, somebody figured out that it was your podcast, you know. <laughs> and he was very nice, and he was like, you know, it, it, that's fantastic, you know. Uh, so thank you so much for linking to it. Would you like me to send you a keyboard? What would you like? Like so, he offered me a free keyboard, and I wrote back and thanked him for that. And I said, let me think about it, but I I never wrote back because because I couldn't decide. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot, a lot of decisions. The ordering the keys and the the fact that they can do custom like any kind of key labeling you want on it too, so they can like make one that looks like the uh, your extended keyboard, or they've got ones that are super modern. They, you know, that that goes into it too. But yeah, they're they're very nice people, um, and that you can order custom keys from them and stuff. And the tester is great. I've it that also solved my problem. I did figure out which key switches I preferred, and that was great. <laughs> um. <laughs> so i'm looking at you're gonna love this because i know that it's something that you wanted to follow up about uh from the marco episode i'm looking at my pictures from the antennagate press conference ah yes <laughs> and you have never seen three more unhappy people than steve jobs tim cook and bob mansfield in these pictures they are just miserable nobody wants to be there it's amazing um well, the follow-up aspect of it is that on the show with Marco, we were talking about that. I forget how it came up, um, but it, the fact that I, it was the fact that I asked the question of whether you know that there was. It seemed to me like the way that questions were going in the Q and A period, that people were starting to take the tack of Apple is saying the solution to this. Is, <laughs> that's such. Yeah, just Jason's photo just popped into my note, and they definitely do not look happy. Um, <laughs> The, 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 I could see the narrative forming uh, in the questions that people were starting to say, okay, Apple says the answer to antenna gate is that they're going to give everybody a free bumper and everybody should use it to avoid the problem. And I asked the question whether of any of the people on stage, are you, you know, are you guys having problems? Do you need a bumper or, you know, I forget exactly how I phrased it. And instead of saying anything, all three of them just took their iPhone fours out of their pocket and held them up and showed that they were bumper free. And it, it, it lightened the mood in the room. <laughs> Um, but anyway, the mis I misremembered. I thought it might have been um, – I knew Mansfield was there. I thought it might have been Jobs, uh, Mansfield, and Phil Schiller on stage, but it was not. It was from left to right, Tim Cook, Steve Jobs, and Big Bob Mansfield from left to right who were on stage for the Q&A after that. So that's a, a correction from two episodes ago. Good. Good good memories. Good. I, I, I was happy to look up uh, my pictures of that. Yeah. Because, yeah, nobody – Steve Jobs, I think, came back from a Hawaii Hawaiian family vacation yes. for that press conference. He did not want to be there. No, he did not. But I, I, it was it was a masterstroke in PR management. It was, it, it was very – as arrogant as Apple can be, I think, they, I think they accurately assessed that the narrative that the iPhone 4 had a crippling antenna problem was spinning out of control, and they needed to nip it in the bud. Yep. Um, the other correction from the same episode is we were talking about that trick of what do, what do you do if you really miss the hardware escape key? Um, and I said something to the effect of maybe what I wish you could do and that, that the keyboard short, the keyboard uh, system preference panel doesn't let you do is map the tilde key to escape, uh, you know, the little back tick tilde key, which I forget what I said about it, that I don't use tilde much, but I know I use back ticks for... Uh, code blocks in Markdown, which is in turn a problem for uh, that I never foresaw when I created Markdown, uh, because like certain keyboards around the world don't have a 
easily access backtick character. Um, but anyway, uh, I think it was actually Daniel Jowkett mentioned twice already in this episode who texted me after listening and said, I'll bet you use tilde all the time. You use command tilde to cycle through windows. And mm. I, I in fact do. And I'd forgotten about that. But anyway, I thought that would be a good tip just to mention out there for people because it might be one of those little things that people don't know. But on the Mac, you can in a window in an app with multiple windows open, you can use the uh, tilde key, command tilde, and uh, cycle through the open windows. Yeah, I use that all the time. In fact, speaking of mechanical keyboards, I had a really weird mechanical keyboard I used for a while that did not have the back tick key or at least didn't have it in the right place and i had to do some keyboard maestro again using a giant tool for a really stupid job uh (laughs) to remap it to i think maybe command escape because i think the escape key was in that same upper left and uh that was dumb but it i really needed it because i suddenly couldn't cycle through windows (laughs) or Uh, type or type a code block and markdown which i do from time to time and uh and then it was just like somebody cut off one of my fingers. Yeah. All right. Let me take a break here before we really get going. I'll thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Squarespace. Uh, look, next time you need to make a website, start at Squarespace. It is the easiest way, and they've got it. I mean, uh, what's the phrase? Soup to nuts. You can do everything from registering your domain name to picking a template to editing the template to dragging and dropping little components out like you know and rearranging them on screen um and uh, make your own brand like if you have you know uh, uh you know let's say you're you're creating a restaurant uh website and your restaurant has you know a logo and and stuff like that you can all that stuff you can put in there just because you start with a template doesn't mean you're stuck with uh something that isn't easily and fully branded to your company or your brand or whatever it is. Or if it's a personal site and you're making a little portfolio to show your work or you're making a store where you're going to sell stuff, Squarespace handles all the really hard stuff like the, the, uh, uh, security and the credit card transactions and all that stuff. It really is an amazing service and they do have award-winning 24 hour a day technical support it's it's truly phenomenal, uh, and it's so easy. And you could spend half an hour for free. You can run it, you know, for a while for free with a free trial just to see if it works, uh, and you lose nothing. And it's so easy. Uh, again, I always say this. This is like one of my repeated talking points for this. One of the best points of Squarespace, even if you're a really technical person who can do all this stuff by hand, is if you know people and they come to you in life and want help with a new website or something like that, get them started on Squarespace. And then even when they do need help, they'll get help from Squarespace, not from you. You can just wash your hands of it and they'll thank you for it. They have great prices and they even have a special deal just for listeners of this show. Enter this offer code, Talk Show. No the, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W when you check out and you will get 10% off. And you can pay for up to a year in advance. So you can get 10% off a whole year on professionally designed websites that are easy to use. And I'll add this, absolutely fantastic analytics. Just the best analytic interface that I've seen in a long time. Um, and, and like instead of overwhelming you with this like airplane dashboard of controls it's just like the main stuff what are people looking at where are they coming from what's popular uh really really and like everything else at squarespace really well designed so go to squarespace.com slash talk show remember that code talk show and you'll save 10 percent on your first purchase 
All right. Are you on the fizzy water train? I always forget who's, who, who drinks fizzy water and who doesn't. I am on the train. We have a soda stream. And also we've been lately, we've just been stocking the fridge with yeah. uh, LaCroix stuff too. Right. Yeah. So I, everybody knows, everybody that listens to this show knows I'm, I've been a soda stream user for years. I really am a big fan of their product. Uh, I've got the penguin. I know they have a bunch of different ones, and I think some of their their lower priced ones aren't as uh, honestly powerful. <laughs> the penguin that I have doesn't take plastic bottles; it takes glass bottles, mm, and they've got fancy. a real nice top that you can squeeze on. The old tops, I see, and <laughs> I the thing is, is that with the penguin, at least you can carbonate it as much as you want. It's not like it gets to a certain standard level of carbonation and stops. You just keep pushing down on the beak of the penguin and it keeps adding more carbonation. And, and they usually, they say it, like it beep, it, it like squeaks when it gets to like, Hey, this is pretty carbonated. Like what most people would consider fizzy water. I usually go to about six squeaks. I just give it about five, five or six more. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the old, the original caps I had with the penguin, they, they only lasted about six months for me because even though they, they kind of screwed on and had gaskets, like the level of carbonation I had in there would crack them. <laughs> Like the glass didn't crack, but the bottle caps did. And now they have a new cap design for the last few years. I still love the product. But uh, I was up where my family was up with the uh, Marco Arment and Tiff Arment family in uh, in New York at the beach uh, a while back. People who listen to ATP know that there was a there was a <laughs> a risky moment where <laughs> mid mid ATP episode, a, a torrential downpour happened. Mm. And Marco realized all of the windows in the house were open and. I also remembered that I left my 15-inch MacBook Pro review unit on the kitchen table, which is right next to an open window, which which window does not have any sort of awning. Uh, and he, he uh, went over it. But I was lucky enough, the lid was closed. There were a couple of drops on the on the lid, but nothing on the keyboard or anything. And the, and the machine is fine. But apparently, I still haven't gotten... I'm still like an episode or two behind on ATP. Haven't listened to that one yet. And apparently, it was sort of left op- up in the air with... <laughs> Whether John Gruber's review unit was <laughs> rain drenched or not, but anyway, on this trip to uh, Fire Island, New York, I found a new product, and it's called Hal's H A L. You know, sort of like the computer Hal's New York Seltzer Water, hmm. and it is it is fantastic. One of the reasons it's fantastic is it's seltzer water, not. And I'm not exactly sure on exactly what the difference is between like all the different fizzy plain waters, like seltzer water and club soda. Club soda has some kind of like, I, I, like to technically be club soda, you have to have like some kind of potassium or something added. Um, for To me, when I just get like a club soda at, at a restaurant or something, it just tastes like fizzy water to me. Um, but seltzer water is artificially carbonated, which is what I want because naturally carbonated water is not fizzy enough. Right. This house seltzer water is the fizziest goddamn commercial seltzer water I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life. I want you to listen. I've got a sealed bottle here. See if we can do that. I'm hoping I won't ruin the computer because usually even without shaking the bottle and having it in the fridge for days, it'll still explode out of the bottle. Listen to this. Oh, there it, there it went. Holy cow. <laughs> Oop, got the computer a little wet. Hopefully it'll be all right. Um, <laughs> it's been wet before. It's been wet before. Um, it is fantastic. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really got me going. And it's got my whole family addicted to it, is that they have a black cherry version. 
It's just some kind of natural black cherry flavoring. Zero calories, no sweeteners at all. But it sort of tastes like uh, unsweetened Dr. Pepper, which is uh, one of my all-time... I I don't really drink sugared soda water anymore, but uh, back when I did, I loved Dr. Pepper. This stuff is absolutely fantastic. And you can uh, get it mail or you go to the Howl New York... Just Google Howl's New York Seltzer Water. They don't sell directly, but they have links to two distributors who do, and it's somewhat reasonably priced. But anyway, I got to throw that out there to all my fizzy water drinking listeners. But I'm telling you, when you get the first bottle, watch out. <laughs> this stuff is explosive. Yeah, you know, I, I've been buying... Um... Uh, the Firestone Brewery makes uh, a stout that I really like that is called the Velvet Merlin, which always makes me <laughs> laugh because I know I know somebody named Merlin. That's actually um, my nickname for Merlin. It's the Velvet Merlin. Sure. Well, they now have a uh, a Nitro Merlin that they have in a can. So it's it's nitro bubbles instead of carbon dioxide. So it's nitrogen bubbles. So they're smaller. And the idea is that it's more like a traditional kind of Irish stout where it's 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 creamier and the little bubbles have this kind of effect where it starts out looking completely uh, white with bubbles. And then the bubbles all just kind of like slowly migrate to the top. It's it, it puts on a show. But anyway, it, it is fascinating because it is counterintuitive to how you always have been taught to deal with fizzy objects that are in pressurized containers. The side of the Nitro Merlin can says... Flip this can up and down at least three times, <laughs> then open and pour it as hard as possible into a glass. Because the idea is you really actually want to agitate those right. nitro bubbles and get them out of there, which is great. It is huge fun. It is a show every time I open one. But I will say, when you open it, you will get um, stout fizz just sort of aerated all over you. <laughs> it's just uh, it's part of the show, I guess. <laughs> I actually I really was joking when I thought that this would fizz all over the <laughs> it's all over my lap it is all over my shirt and there's quite a bit on this MacBook <laughs> seems okay good test of the uh though that membrane cover I guess yeah sure uh well all right that brings us to I guess to uh news uh, I wrote this week about this, uh, as I call it, this new MacBook Air successor thing, um, which is effective. What I tried to do is I tried to square three things. What makes, you know, in terms of what Apple might be doing with MacBooks, the MacBook lineup for the rest of this year, um, because it just, uh, just last month they updated the touch bar MacBook pros, 13 inch and 15 inch, um, with, you know, faster processors, uh, true tone displays and this third generation butterfly keyboard that has some kind of membrane that supposedly keeps out dust, etc. But they didn't update the uh, the non touch bar MacBook Pro 13 inch, aka the MacBook Escape. Didn't update the 12 inch MacBook, and Apple hasn't updated the MacBook Air since the late 1990s, um, <laughs> or, or so it seems. Yeah. Um, so I tried to speculate what Apple Apple might do that would make sense for Apple, uh, what Apple might do that would be appealing to customers. And then the third thing I tried to do is square it with what has been reported by uh, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, who had a piece earlier this week. Um, 
and he had written about it a few months ago, right before WWDC, which, uh, and Digitimes, a Chinese or Taiwanese, I forget, uh, trade paper that often has rumors, especially from the display industry, had written. Uh, and I think Ming-Chi Kuo, I didn't link to him, but even Ming-Chi Kuo, who usually only writes about iPhones and iPads, he had something to say about it. Um, and trying to square all three of those things, what Apple would do that's good for Apple and what was appealing to customers and what fits with this reporting is really hard to do and took me, I thought this would be great. And it, you know, it often works like this for me, at least, is I think this is something that I would love to write about. It doesn't seem like anybody else has really written about. It seems like people are confused already by what I'm trying to say. Because when I first linked to the German story, I, I was trying to make all the points I ended up spending 2000 words <laughs> making. And therefore, I, it's no surprise that I was misunderstood. Um, but it is complicated. <laughs> and I could think of nobody better to talk about it with than somebody who I've talked about MacBook lineups with uh, many times before. It is super complicated. And I, I laughed when I read your piece about how you like started thinking one thing and then halfway through you're like, wait a second, uh, and started to think of something else because that has happened to me too, writing and talking about this issue because there is... Sometimes, you know, there are Apple rumors and it's just like very clear what the product is going to be. But with this, there are a bunch of different ways they could go. None of them feels, as you elaborate, none of them feels particularly satisfying. Like, oh, oh, that's it. That's the one they're going to do. Because they all involve kind of choices that seem kind of un-Apple-like, which I think is rooted in this idea that I know you and I have talked about, that the MacBook, which... I think somebody thought at some point in the process that that would replace the MacBook Air, but at twelve ninety nine, it's three hundred dollars too expensive to replace the MacBook Air, and that that seems to have surprised somebody somewhere at Apple and has led them in this weird position where they couldn't get rid of the Air, and now what do they replace it with? And I think that's part of the problem here is that is that they're still kind of like trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that they've got the MacBook Pro Escape. 13 inch they've got the macbook and then they've got this macbook air and like they seem to have rationalized kind of the top pro level of their laptops uh this year but the consumer part is the other shoe that has to drop and we all know it the fact that the escape didn't get updated also suggests that something is going on there i wonder about if it's really going to stay a macbook pro or if it's going to graduate to or get demoted or whatever to something else but something's got to give because they can't keep selling that macbook air forever but as you said none of the suspects are like the stone cold lock where you're like that's what they're going to do yeah i there's so many ways it could turn out and i'd be like okay i get it but none none of them are to me like an advance a lock and the one thing that 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 blinded me at first and i think you'll agree i think you're you'll be in say you're in the same boat with me on this is that there have been times when apple's entire portable strategy and i noted i just for the first time in my life i noticed this week while researching this going back that when apple needs a word I don't think they're 100% consistent on this. I think they've said the word laptop at some point and maybe said notebook at some point. But rather than laptop or notebook, and I often equivocate between the two, um, because my problem with laptop is it implies you have to use it on your lap. Like, And I very seldom, other than when I'm on an airplane, use my use my portable computer on a, on my actual lap. Hmm. Um, 
But if you use the word laptop, people know what it means, right? And maybe it's just like, forget about the origins. People know what you mean when you say a laptop. Right. Um, but I've noticed that Apple often calls them portables, you know, portable Mac. Um, but anyway, so I'll use the word portable. But Apple's portable Mac lineup at times has had extraordinary clarity, uh, dating back to like the original little quadrant that Steve Jobs had in 1998 of, look, we've got portables and desktops and we have consumer products and professional products and our portable consumer product is the iBook and our portable uh, professional is the, at the time, PowerBook. And maybe there's multiple PowerBooks. Usually there's multiple PowerBooks, but at least the basic idea of the lineup is, has this sort of clarity. Um, and when there were, you know, you know, maybe eight years later when there were those plastic MacBooks, remember when they, remember when the black MacBook cost more than the white one, even though it was the same material? <laughs> Oh yeah, I had one of those. I I paid the black tax on that for sure. I I I never had one of those, but I would have absolutely paid the black tax on that because uh, I've I've always, if I have the choice between a black and white, I don't think I've ever chosen uh, white. Um, it, it, I always think of that when I think of the the premium that they charge on the new keyboard and mouse and trackpad for the iMac Pro. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> everybody knows they're cool everybody knows darker is cooler but um but that was a very clear lineup the plastic macbooks versus the aluminum macbook pros and it just looking at the specs and you know everything about them it the why this one cost more than that one and why you might want one over the other was very clear and then i think that the clearest that the apple laptop line has ever been and and maybe like the it's it's just the high water mark was when the 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 MacBook Air first took over the low end and and they didn't have anything they no longer had a computer called just the MacBook maybe naming wise that didn't quite make as much sense but when it was an eight ninety nine eleven inch MacBook Air a nine ninety nine starting point thirteen inch MacBook Air and then thicker, heavier MacBook Pros of 13 and 15 inch at higher price point. That was, uh, to me, very clear. And I don't know that the lower end models had ever or even since have ever been so appealing mm -hmm. in terms of there were people who could afford a $3,000 MacBook Pro and were happy with an, a you know, slightly upgraded 1199 MacBook Air because they actually preferred it in every way. I was one of those people. I mean, I have a right right near me, right over my shoulder, right now, a um, uh, an i i seven maybe um, MacBook Air eleven inch, right? Like maxed out settings, but in this little tiny MacBook Air. So um, I always I always like those, and and yep. I, I think you're right. There there was some clarity that again. I I keep coming back to like the um, the root of this, the kind of original sin of this seems to me in the retina transition on the laptops, the MacBook could, the MacBook design they, they made to re replace the MacBook air 
was more expensive than they thought it would be. Yeah. And although there's plenty of profit margin built in there, you you know that Apple has some rules internally about what pro, what every product has to throw off in terms of margin. And for whatever reason, that MacBook ended up being way more expensive than I, I suspect they intended. Because I got to think that MacBook was intended to be uh, eventually to rest at, if not $999, then like $1099. Yeah. And they just haven't been able to do it. And so then there's this like, well, wait, wait a second. We renamed this as the MacBook. And that's one of your big questions in your article is like, what do you even call it? Let's assume that it's not actually a MacBook Air because I don't think it will be, but that there's a new model, a new model that's intended to be sub $1,000, assuming that there's no way for them to get the MacBook to start at 999 which they might be able to do, but it's so compromised that I, I don't know whether people would rush to buy it like they did the MacBook Air. But like, let's just assume there's a new model. What name do they give it? Because they already took generic plain MacBook and put it in the 12-inch that we know. And if they make like a 13-inch model, but it isn't as nice and it costs less, so you're paying more for a smaller laptop, like they could do that. But I wouldn't say that that provides crystal clarity to the line. And so th- th- that I think that's at the root of us looking at this and scratching our heads is that um, to a certain degree, they're going to be doing... I think a little bit of damage control because they just didn't quite, it didn't happen the way they thought maybe it would happen originally. Yeah. And I don't by any means think that the 12 inch MacBook is a dud or a failure. I see a fair amount of them. Um, My daughter has one and she loves it and I I play around with it and I think it's really great. And if I wasn't using my iPad so much now, I would almost certainly have gotten that 12 inch MacBook because it's so uh, light and you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's not gonna, you know, it's not a professional tool, but it is, it's pretty great. The screen is gorgeous and it's super small and light. And it gets great battery life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My daughter loves hers. Absolutely loves it. I am 98% sure that, and again, it, you know, it, this isn't, this doesn't prove that he actually uses it on a regular basis. I mean, it might've been a choice, but when, when, when there was that weird, uh, Hey, we're going to do a Mac pro thing at Apple where they had me and Panzerino and, and right. Lance Ulanoff and John Petskowski and Ina freed. Um, I think that was everybody who was invited just the five of us. And they were doing it. Schuler had a little PowerPoint presentation for some of, you know, just for what he wanted to talk through. And it was on a MacBook. Uh, 12 inch MacBook, and he was going through it. And I, I really do get the impression that that was his MacBook, you know, that he made this, you know, because it wasn't a b- big deal. I mean, why wouldn't it be? It was his MacBook. Um, and he was talking about it at one point, and he had it on the whole time. And I don't know, we were like an hour and five minutes into it, and he like turned it around. He was like, Look, I've still got 99% battery life. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really a tremendous, he's like, I love this thing, but it, it really is a tremendous computer. But I do think that. There's an awful lot of people who look at it and think it's too small. Like, I think people look at a 13-inch laptop and think that's a normal laptop size. And, you know, a 13-inch is mm-hmm. actually, you know, at least by Apple's 13-inch is 13.3. Uh, and those little point threes, you know, measure up. Like, a, a thir- you know, the 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 12-inch MacBook looks, it, you know, 12 and 13 don't sound like vastly different numbers. But when you look at a MacBook next to a 13-inch MacBook Pro, it looks tiny, Truly tiny. And I mm-hmm. really feel like it might be too small to be their best-selling model. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as an 11-inch MacBook Air user, it was definitely an outlier. And most people thought that was a bridge too far to go yeah. down to 11 inches. But the 13 worked for them. 
Yeah, and I was for years, you know, longtime listeners of the show will know that I, I, I think my current thirteen personal thirteen inch MacBook Pro is might be my longest running personally used laptop, and if it's not, it probably will be by the time I replace it because I've had it at least four years at this point, uh, and love it. But I had an eleven inch MacBook Air for a long time, and really liked it in a lot of ways. Um, and especially when traveling, man, that thing was just, it's just, um, it was just, um, I had, I forget which, you know, Tom Bin has like 30 different gazillion little over the shoulder bags, but I got one that was like meant for like an 11 inch air. Um, and it, it, it honestly, I could sometimes I'd be like getting on an airplane and I just couldn't believe how small this bag was with a complete MacBook setup in it. It, it just seemed impossible. And, you know, come to think of it, I never really thought about this before, but the years when I was using that 11-inch MacBook Air as my travel computer was when my son was a lot younger. And anybody who's traveled with even just, I don't, even just one young child, you really, you really wind up schlepping an awful lot of stuff in and out mm-hmm. of cars, cabs, monorails, uh, and airport uh, overhead bins. Uh so it sounds ridiculous to think that the difference between an 11 and 13 inch MacBook Air would really make it, but it, 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 whether it really, really did, it made me think it did, you know, it really felt like, well, at mm-hmm. least I'm saving something here. Oh yeah. Every time I open that thing up, I'm like, oh, it's so, it's so small. Right. right. And, and although my daughter's computer does the same thing, right. That 12 inch MacBook. So, so, okay. So what is it then? What is this thing? I, I would say that also that in the Bloomberg story, they don't actually say they kind of put it in the context of the MacBook Air, but they don't say what it, what it's actually going to cost, just that it's low nope. cost and that it's sort of a replacement for the MacBook Air. It's all very hazy. Like, And again, Mark Gurman, great sources. Uh, the facts he reports, I believe, are facts. Right. I believe it. But then they have to build a story around it, and then we all kind of add our own assumptions. So yes. what do you think? Like, what is this thing? Right. What What is it going to be? Right. What I tried to point out when I first linked to this report was that I—, I I, maybe I should have just stuck to saying this raises more questions than it answers. And and <laughs> there's this whole contingent of people who, who I point these things out about German reports publicly. And then I get so much Twitter feedback of why are you jealous? Why do you hate German? Why, you know, you, it's a bad look, John. Why do you always, every time German has one of these reports, you shit all over it. You know, it's a bad look. He's doing great work. He's better writer than you. I mean, I get it all. And that's it. It doesn't really bother me, except that I feel like I'm being misunderstood, and I worry that I don't worry that people are saying that about me. I just worry that I've, I'm failing as a writer because I've clearly failed to convey what I'm trying to say, which is that basically this report. Let's just take it all as true, and he usually is right. And what he wrote here, I wouldn't be surprised if it's word for word true. Raises a lot more questions than it provides answers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not criticizing him. You know, he, he's got a scoop here that nobody else seems to have, but. Um, you know, either his source doesn't know the knows that it's coming out and knows that it's supposed to be low cost and knows that it looks quote similar to the current MacBook Air and doesn't know anything else, or he has a source who does know more but wasn't willing to tell him more, or wasn't willing to tell him more uh, for publication. You know, there's right. all sorts of ways that that could work out. Where, and and I feel like with some people who and, and it. People aren't supposed to know the inside baseball, and it's like the the people who compliment me sometimes when I write things like this are like colleagues, you know. And I say, hey, that was good when you called that out or on something, something. Um, 
what people, you know, uh, who aren't in the industry, who aren't writers, don't really think about is they don't think about who the source is. I read this story and I immediately think, well, who's, who could possibly be the source for this and why wouldn't they know more? Mm -hmm. And then I immediately think, oh, wait, they might know more and either didn't tell him or, uh, or told him and, and insisted that he couldn't publish more than what he did. Yeah. My gut feeling with all of these, and I, I agree with you, um, the, always ask why somebody's giving the information out and right. who who they are because right. that's like fundamental like every time that there's like a controversial thing about a project that's been killed or something like that it's like who would be motivated to do that so for something like this i imagine the way apple is is siloed that this is somebody who has heard or knows a little bit but doesn't know the whole story and they they're happy to give mark german tidbits right that it's like literally all they know and I think German, again, I really think highly of him. I think he does a great job as a reporter. I think in the context of Bloomberg, as opposed to back when he was on 9to5Mac, um, Bloomberg wants him to write these kind of larger narratives in which his stuff is embedded. And it can lead to us all looking at the story and going, well, wait a second, there's a thousand words here, but there's really like five facts. And I, I think it doesn't, you know, sometimes those stories are really great when he's got a lot of extra tidbits, but when he doesn't have a lot of extra tidbits, it comes across that they're trying to create kind of a really thin gruel, right? They're, right. they're trying to t stretch their, what they've got by putting in a lot of water or a lot of filler. And I, I think this is a good example of that because we, we don't know a lot. He doesn't know a lot, but he, he has some tidbits. Like he's, he's basically saying, and I believe him, like low cost laptop coming into the Mac line going to happen. Like totally great. Yeah. But um, whoever he talked to, you're, you're right. Either wouldn't say or i think more likely doesn't know because right. like above it's above their pay grade like they they're working in a part of apple where they got like a little bit of a glancing blow like where they're like i i know just enough but no more because those people are probably um either aware that they're being surveilled or right. um are are very good employees who want to make sure that it's a secret right um so just to reiterate, for anybody, you know, I go over this in my article, but it's good to talk about. It. But like the actual facts about this machine that he that his report lists, and it is, I, I should add, it is uh, co bylined with Debbie Wu at Bloomberg. Um, so we're right. making uh, some assumptions here about the sources coming from German, and who knows, they could have come from Debbie Wu. So it, you know, no slight intended, but I don't, you know, I think most people assume that the the sources are Germans and maybe some of the rest of the narrative comes from her, but so we'll just say Bloomberg. But we don't know. Yeah. Right. We don't know. But, um, Apple will release a new low cost laptop and a professional focused upgrade to the Mac mini desktop later this year. All right. We can get back to the, this new Mac mini later. <laughs> um, next paragraph or, you know, uh, da, 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 according to people familiar with the plans, the new laptop will look similar to the current MacBook Air, but will include thinner bezels around the screen. The display, which will remain about 13 inches, will be a higher resolution, quote, retina version that Apple uses on other products, the people said. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> that yep. is literally the entire description of this. And the the thing, you know, like I said, I have I have these assumptions that Apple wants to get back to a simple lineup of MacBooks and MacBook Pros, uh, you know, one, two, uh, that may be a bad assumption, and I've revisited. Um, 
I think there's an awful lot of people out there. I know that there's a lot of people. I hear it on Twitter. I hear it, see it in my email from to Daring Fireball. I know that there are a lot of people who for three or four years have been clamoring for one specific thing. Just take the MacBook Air and put a retina display on it. That the one and only thing they don't like about the MacBook Air as Apple has continued to sell it is the lack of a, a retina display. Yeah. And I even saw people, I don't know, at this point, I think enough years have gone by that people sort of expect now that a retina MacBook Air would would take over at $999. And I, th- I think looking at the market, that's reasonable, especially for a retina display. Like there's all sorts of other technologies that have crept into displays, like higher brightness levels and uh, significantly wider color gamuts. And now we even have, I'm looking at one right now, one with True Tone. Apple could fulfill the number one thing though that people want is is retina. You know, so it could be a lower cost retina that doesn't have uh true tone and maybe the wide color gamut or something like that. And most people would be just fine with that. Um they just all they want is just take a, a MacBook Air and stick a goddamn retina screen on it. I mean, and there's a lot of people yeah. who've wanted that for a while, who still want it, and when they read this report from Mark Gurman <laughs> What they read was Apple is going to take the MacBook Air and stick a retina screen in it and lower the, you know, smallen up the bezels. Yeah, and, and that it, is... just, it doesn't follow, especially since the way that it's phrased of like looks similar to the MacBook Air. Oh, do you mean that it's going to be an aluminum laptop? I mean, come, <laughs> right. Like, like that, how that... All, they all look like the MacBook Air. <laughs> right. <laughs> every, so... right every, in, in some sense, every computer Apple makes right now looks similar to the MacBook Air. Uh, the 13, uh, maybe if we want to, you could rule out the 15 inch, right? You could say 15 inch doesn't look like the MacBook Air, except you could say it looks like. A bigger MacBook Air. Mm, yeah, right? So I, I'm not sure. I kind of discount that. Like, looks kind of like the MacBook Air statement as being almost no information. Like, right. I, I, we can just discount that. Um, but it, it is... I, I agree. I mean, it's funny. The things that people want uh, and don't want, like, for lots of good reasons, like USB-A ports, MagSafe, uh, SD card slot. Like, there's so many reasons other than the Retina screen yeah. and the fact that it is a, a, a processor architecture that would the whole internals would have to be redone because right. they have run out of road on that processor and they want a more modern processor in there. Right. But I, I feel like what you and I know about Apple is if they're going to put time into doing a new piece of hardware, they want it to be able to ride it for a few years. And right. uh, to rebuild the in- internals of a MacBook Air and yet keep everything else the same, I just... Yeah. I can't imagine them doing that, which is if I had to guess today, I'm just uh, and I may I I reserve the right to go back on this immediately, like while we're talking. But (laughs) if I had to guess today, what I would say is they're going to do two things. They're going to I mean, they'll update the MacBook. Right. And hopefully maybe even cut the price on it a little bit. But I think they're going to do two two other things. I think I want to predict who knows what I have no information. I'm just guessing that they really want to kind of push that MacBook escape down maybe even take the name pro off of it um and that would be a good kind of like macbook companion there's the macbook 12 and the macbook 13 and here they are and then there's going to be another model with a probably a different name that is going to cut lots of corners it's going to use stuff that is not up to the up to the level of the of the um hardware that's in the other laptops and that's going to allow Apple to maintain margin and be under a thousand. And I don't know what you call that. I still think it's not going to be like a hunk of plastic. It's still going to right. be an aluminum enclosure. But if I had to guess, based on this German report, 
and the other reports that we've seen that they may have just finally at some point said, you know what? We just need to make a, a an official, cheap, not-as-good laptop to replace the Air. But I still think it's going to have USB-C and, you know, and charge via USB-C and all of the things that are in modern Mac laptops. I, I don't think they're going to just make a MacBook Air with a new chip inside and a retina screen. Right. Even though I think that that's what a lot of people... In fact, even totally. after I wrote it and tried to make the case against that, people are like, well, I hope you're wrong, and they still do that. And it's like, well, I wish you good luck. And, it, you know, and of course, the other thing that people uh, along those exact same lines that people are very adamantly hoping will not change is the keyboard. And yeah, I, oh yeah. I, I just don't think that's no, I, I get it. I totally you and I you said in your piece, like we totally get it. I wrote a piece um earlier this year for Macworld called something like MacBook Air, why won't it die? And people are like, Why are you trying to kill the MacBook Air? And I'm like, No, no, no. No. The the piece is basically like people won't let it die. They keep buying it because they yeah. like it and they like MagSafe and they like the keyboard and they like the SD card slot and they like USB-A, like all of these things that Apple thought were like selling points of the new generation of laptops. And people are like, no, nah, not really. And the only things you can say are the processor could be faster and it should have a retina display. So, you know, totally get it. I just don't believe that Apple will would put in all that effort to just make kind of a new version of five years ago's laptop, which is what kind of what we're saying it would be yeah and you know it is funny because i know that there's i think there's a dell where you know like the bezels surrounding the current macbook pros uh these new latest ones are significantly smaller than the bezels on any macbook apple's ever made sure. um and i strongly suspect <laughs> that if this new thing is a low-cost um computer that the bezels that's about the best you can hope for but there are other laptop makers out there like i think dell in particular um who have laptops with bezels that make even the macbook pros look small um you know it, everybody's in phones tablets everywhere everybody's in a race to get edge to edge screens um you know and aesthetically i can see why um but even if, you know, and, and then you look at the air and the air, as we know it today, really does have ancient looking bezels. They're not even it, it, it. They're not even black. You know, there's like these big gray thick picture frame around the display. Yeah, I mean, it is it is very old display tech because they never changed that screen. And there's no. nice things about it because it's the super thin. Uh, I always liked it because I thought it was had much less glare. Mm -hmm. on it than the full sheet of glass on a macbook pro i always like the display on it other than the fact that it's not retina it's still like really nice but you the trade-off is you, you get rid of that whole edge-to-edge -edge sheet of glass but it means you got a big silver you know rectangle that you're right. looking through to see your screen and that's how i mean that is that's apple design styling of like eight years ago ten years yeah. ago it's super old right yeah. so i can't imagine them sticking with something like that right. um the technology's also advanced a lot in 10 years so i think that the kind of thing that they would use may be more akin to a macbook but right. i do keep coming back to the i was thinking about the microsoft um surface laptop uh, Surface Notebook. I forget what it's called, but it's the one that's a pure laptop. It's not a not a tablet or a convertible. It's the laptop, and they got that to start at nine ninety nine. Yeah, and it looks very much like a MacBook Air. But how did they do it? It is this uh, to take a word from the uh, c the car world. It's decontenting, where it's just like its specs are terrible, but. Mm. 
it starts at $9.99. And I do have that question sometimes of like, would Apple in the Tim Cook era do something that Apple kind of has shied away from in the past, which is to make an entry-level system where the specs are really not very good. Apple tends to sort of say, no, 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 below here, we're not going to even go because it's not a good enough experience. But it would be one way to get those laptops down under a thousand because that's what Microsoft did. And like you look at that 999 Surface laptop and you don't want it. You, you Like you don't want that model. You want one that's a couple hundred dollars more, but they can say that it starts at 999 and that's important for, you know, buying psychology. But I do fear like all the schools that are like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. We're going to get that laptop. And it's like, no, you don't want that laptop. If schools are even buying Surface laptops, they probably aren't. They're probably just buying Chromebooks. I think you're talking about the Surface Book. Surface Book, that's it. Yeah, Is the that one. It? That, the one. But, it's it's not the one where it like has the weird bendy hinge. It's the one that's just a MacBook Air. It's a it's just a a, a Microsoft MacBook Air. Yeah, I think. But I, I know what you mean. And to some extent, Apple has clearly already been doing that by continuing to sell this MacBook Air. The MacBook Air, when you go in and say, I want the 999 MacBook Air, you're not just getting a non-retina screen, which is really, uh, it, in, in my opinion, embarrassing in 2018. But it only has eight gigabytes of RAM. It You can't even build the order to get more RAM. Literally, the MacBook Air, every MacBook Air gets eight gigs of RAM and you'll like it. Um and the default one only has 128 gigabytes of SSD storage, which I think is, I mean, it's not terrible. I know that the way that SSD doubles in these powers of two, that going from 64 to 128 got 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 them over the hump of being usable for people as their main computer. But 128 is pretty bad today. Like, Here, but I wouldn't I've be got, surprised that I wouldn't be surprised to see nine to hit that 999 mark if the new one. You know, comes out and it still is at one twenty eight for that nine ninety nine config. And so, real time follow up. It's the Surface Laptop. Okay, Surface Laptop, and it's there the one go. that's got the kind of fabric cover on it. But oh, it's a laptop. Yeah, it's yeah, a laptop, yeah. and it looks kind of like a MacBook Air. And it actually yeah. starts at seven ninety nine. But again, that is not a configuration that you would want. So right. I do think about that sometimes. Like, would Apple do that? And like, literally, like. One of the ways you get down under a thousand isn't by inventing a whole brand new computer that is made with cheaper technology, although they could do that. One way to get down there is to do something that they're very good at, actually, which is, um, you know, you make a base configuration and then all of the upgrades are kind of pricey so that the average selling price of a laptop is still pretty high, even though they now have something that's nine ninety nine. Right. And figure out a way to make it so that anybody could at least you know most people could at least see oh yeah maybe i do want to spend a little bit more right to, right to but get... to your point it, it would be a hard the as currently designed the macbook escape kind of can't go down there so they one possibility is that the macbook escape gets kind of like redesigned into something that's cheaper um but like i said earlier i think i think it maybe is more likely that there's just a new model that doesn't have all the great stuff in it yeah. and it's not, you know, that Apple was a little, I think that this is the truth of the of the MacBook and of the Retina MacBooks in general with this generation is Apple was a little too uh, aggressive with pushing the new expensive tech, thinking people would really love it. And they don't love, love it. And it's more expensive than they thought. And that has made this like space beneath. So maybe there's, yeah, maybe there's something that's just a little not as nice. But still a Mac, still a good laptop, 
and something that is going to appeal to all those people who are, I mean, because let's be honest here, there are people still buying MacBook Airs in 2018 at yeah. 9.99. Oh, absolutely! Like, it is, right, it is it's, right now today. It is the best-selling Mac that they make. I'm so, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm convinced. It sure, that it's feels true. like it, right? With with right. the exception of like when there's pent-up demand for a brand new model, I think in general over the over the long haul, I think you're probably right, and and so. I don't think there's an argument to be made that said, oh, people aren't going to want to buy a laptop that's that's made with cheaper substandard materials than the stuff that's available. And they're doing it now. They're, right. you, they're, they're, it's like a three-year-old Intel processor in there um, and a non-retina display and those big bezels. And, and yeah, some features we like, like the keyboard and the, and the MagSafe. But like the, the people who are buying the Air are not going to get turned away because it's not as nice as the Pro. There, right. it's not that's not going to be an issue right i i totally agree i think anybody i, I don't think anybody uh, i just think we've gotten to the point where for most people uh, a three-year-old cpu in the in the macbook air is not a problem they don't even care their eyes just glaze over if you told them if you just mentioned to them the better cpu in the macbook pro their, their eyes just glaze over and even the things that they might understand the easiest like the uh the gigahertz clock speeds are very close you know like the advantage to the you know the pro is that it has more cores it doesn't even sound that much faster like people who listen to this show and you and i might know that it is actually a lot faster but real people don't see it and they're not doing anything where they're hitting the cpu anyway and the only thing if they gave any crap about games they may not even be buying a mac like laptop in the first place and they certainly wouldn't be looking at the macbook air so in terms of the GPU, as long as it plays full screen video, <laughs> that's what else do they do that is graphically intensive, right? And everything plays full screen video just fine now. Yeah, it's it's true. That's the thing is. Um, so I think Apple could really cheap out on, on yeah, CPU, yeah. GPU. I don't think. Well, I mean, certainly like the MacBook, right? They could use right. the, they don't call it Core M anymore, but it's right. the cheap i3 or i5 right. and, and maybe slower SSD. And I mean, and they could do if they wanted. They could just do USB C and not Thunderbolt. They could do that if they wanted to. Like they've got lots of options to make something that's still going to be just fine for okay. most people. <laughs> what if they came out with a new quote unquote MacBook Air and it had a Retina screen and it like Geekbench slower than <laughs> than the old MacBook Air? There's a certain contingent of people who know what Geekbench is whose heads would explode, <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past them. You know, like yeah. if they've switched to the Core M or something like that. Well, I remember like the first, what was it? Was it the MacBook Air? Like when the first MacBook Air came out, and keeping in mind, as you pointed out in your article, it was super expensive. $1,800 to yeah, start. Yeah, and I tested that. And then let's leaving aside also the fact that if it got too hot, like um, on a warm day in in uh, in a warm room, it, would, it had this bug where it would just turn off a processor core and your mouse would stop moving smoothly. <laughs> it was so bad. Like it was great in a meat locker, but really, really bad in my office that would that had a west facing window in the afternoon it was it was it worked great in the morning in the afternoon not so good um that thing when it came out it was i forget it was slower it was it was several years into the intel transition and it was slower than any it was the slowest intel mac ever made and it was like years in yeah like it was it was like two or three years into the intel transition i don't remember the exact time but it was like it was a throwback in yeah. terms of performance it was it was not close to being as 
fast as the slowest Mac from two years before. Right. But you know what? It had other things going for it in 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 not price at that point, but size. And yeah. so something something that's a regression in terms of speed at this point, like does it matter? Like yeah. for most uses now, that that's the truth of all of this stuff is that if you're a pro, you need pro stuff, but everybody else just, they don't, they really don't. Yeah. That, that original MacBook air was such a glimpse of the future though. And the 1800, oh, yeah. the $1,800 version came with an 80 gigabyte spinning hard disk. <laughs> Yeah, and, you could upgrade for like two grand. You could get an SSD in there, and it was only sixty-four gigabytes. And uh, I, so it was like thirty-one hundred. Thirty-one hundred dollars. It was like a thirty-one hundred dollar laptop it had a sixty-four gigabyte SSD. But I remember um, I, it was Will Shipley. I don't know if he was blogging or if, maybe Twitter was around because it probably was around two thousand eight. So it might have been on Twitter. And Shipley bought one. Now he's a developer at Delicious Monster, and uh, you know. Mac developer, longtime Mac developer, Will Shipley was tweeting about it and he loved it. And he was like, look, I know that the processor's slow, but like he was doing things in Xcode that were actually faster, even though the processor was two years slower, it was faster in Xcode because what he was doing was touching lots of little files. And that's the sort of thing SSDs just blow a spinning hard disk away and was actually seeing performance gains and it, obviously that's an edge case you know but it was a hint of the future and one reason that our computers today feel so much faster than old computers uh, is is the tremendous advantage i mean it's, it's so easy to overlook ssds now that we're all used to them but i mean no, I st store, storage was always i mean slow hard drive even in the days where there weren't ssds if you had a slow hard drive slow spinning hard drive it was almost always the hard drive that was the problem. The always. processors were so fast, have been so fast for so long that almost every regular use, the hard it was like your hard drive. Uh, I I upgraded a, an old Mac laptop a, a year or so ago to an SSD, and it's just it's laughable. Like right. it suddenly it's like you don't need a new computer. Use this five year old computer with an SSD. It's great. Like. Yeah. It is it is staggering. I looked it up, by the way. New MacBook Air, our original MacBook Air came out January 2008. I believe the first Intel Mac came out in January 2006. Hmm. And that MacBook Air was slower than any of those. Uh, to <laughs> Maybe, the two-year-old Intel Macs. <laughs> yeah, that's unbelievable. The other thing, too, Liz, looking back on it, uh, going down memory lane, is the way that spinning hard disks, when you, at least in a laptop especially, because you couldn't hide it under your desk, gave your computer a noise and a, and a feeling on your palms. Like you could feel it mm -hmm. when the computer was reading, <laughs> reading or, or, the disc. Um, or if they spun down to save power and then you right. hit the disc and you could, you could actually yeah. hear it and feel it spin up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like, that MacBook Air too, the, the non SSD version, that was like an iPod hard drive. So it was like not even a, it was a super small hard drive. So it was incredibly yeah. slow. Right. It was not. It was not a good. I'm looking at the Mac uh, Mac World uh, Speedmark score now, which is like all the reference systems uh, were like 170, 160, and the MacBook Air uh, scored 124. <laughs> it's just like it was not. It was it was faster than the PowerBook G4. That was what we decided. That <laughs> remember, was all we could do. Remember too that in the spinning hard disk era, they were also far less reliable, like by probably by several orders of magnitude. And you, <laughs> I mean, everybody who's old enough and was into computers at the, in the spinning hard disk era will remember this that you'd get used to the way your computer sounded quickly. Like, and you'd, you bought a new computer. It would be a new, different hard drive, maybe a different enclosure. You know, as years went on, computers sounded different, but they all had a sound. And if the hard drive started making a different sound, <laughs> you would immediately 
like bolt up from your chair and run and get like a disc warrior CD or <laughs> some kind of disc utility because you knew that shit was going to go bad very quickly. Like you could actually diagnose Just a slight <laughs> change in the hum of the right. drive, and you're like, oh no, that that is that's the end. Yeah, they're they're bad spinning drives. They served us well. Um, they still serve us well in some places, but boy. That that is, I'm so glad that that technology is out of most of the devices I use. You now. could diagnose a computer, or at least know something was wrong from mechanical noises that it no, made. It's like it's like um, mystical, uh, magical uh, wizard stuff, right? Where it was literally like, this can't be real. It's like le- using leeches on a patient or something. Right. It's like this can't be. You're just listening to my computer, and now now you're feeling the vibrations in my computer. That can't be right. But it actually was. It was totally real. <laughs> it's terrible, terrible. What what we're saying is, listen to us old people to warn you of how bad things were back in the day. We we got a good now. We really right. got a good. This trip down memory lane seems like a good place to end it. We're thinking about something bad, spinning hard disk. Let's talk about something good, and it's our next sponsor, good friends at Trace Pontas. Uh, Trace Pontas is a. Uh, you look. You've heard of single origin coffee. This is single farm coffee. It is a farm down in Brazil, owned by a single family, and they make one type of coffee, and this is fantastic, that because it, it's a complete opposite of my how to buy a keyboard thing. They've got one type of coffee. It's from the same farm. They've owned it for generations, and they've only recently started selling it outside of Brazil. Uh, and what you choose from is how you want it roasted. They've got one one type of coffee, Big farm down in Brazil, and they've got light, medium, dark, and French roast. I li- I like, I go between. I have a bunch of it, and I've been drinking it for months. I like the light and the medium. And I sort of maybe what I should do is like make a half and half. I can't decide. I'm not really a dark roast person, but if you are, they've got you covered with their dark and French roasts. Uh, you could buy a couple bags and decide, you know, which one you like best. You can get it pre-ground, or you could do what I think is the right thing and get the unground coffee and buy a nice little grinder and do it fresh right when you brew your own coffee. Uh, it's a great coffee, and they have this other thing. In addition to the fact that you can just go and buy coffee and be done with it right now, they've got subscriptions, uh, and subscription coffee is absolutely amazing because then you just never have to worry about it it just you just figure out how often you need a bag of coffee you can get it like weekly every two weeks every month whatever you need uh and then it just shows up from the postal service and every two weeks you've got fresh coffee and part of this is the convenience you're never out of coffee and part of it is that they really go to great lengths to make sure that the coffee you get is fresh like it doesn't go from Trace Pontas to some warehouse and then it sits on the shelf in a warehouse and then somebody picks it off and sends it to you. Trace Pontas does the shipping themselves and they're only shipping fresh, freshly roasted coffee all the time. And I'm telling you, coffee is – Marco backed me up on it two weeks ago. But coffee is 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 like a grocery. It's like something from the, the vegetable aisle in the groceries. It, it goes bad quickly or at least goes bland quickly it's not like it goes rotten but it really it really is something like a perishable item fresh coffee tastes so much better it once you get used to it it, you can't go back um and i will say this they have two great ways to buy their coffee you can go to their website trace t-r-e-s pontas p-o-n-t-a-s dot com uh go right there see their whole story see the details you can order from them but it's even easier if you buy Trace Pontas coffee fresh on Amazon, just go to Amazon and search for Trace Pontas. It'll be the first thing you see. 
And when you buy on Amazon, Amazon is just acting as the the e-commerce thing for the transaction. The order still gets fulfilled by Trace Pontas. It's fulfilled the exact same people, the exact same place, the exact same fresh coffee as if you ordered from Trace Pontas themselves. They're the ones encouraging you to go to Amazon and do it there if you want because they, they want it to be as convenient as possible. Um, you know, they're the ones encouraging me to tell you about buying it on Amazon and, and, and double enforcing that you get the exact same shipment from the exact same place. Um, and here's even more good stuff. All orders in the U.S., either from Trace Pontas or from Amazon, enjoy free shipping. I don't even know how that's possible. I, I, that, that seems too good to be true, but it is true. So go to Trace Pontas. If you've never had their coffee before, Buy some, try it out, see if you like it. And once you have it and you like it, go back, get a subscription and get your beans every one, two or four weeks, your choice. Um, and it, here's the extra deal. Uh, when you get a subscription, you pay 10% less per bag than you would buying it a bag at a time. And listeners of the talk show get an extra 10% off. Keep this to yourselves, but it's it's a bit of a secret. Extra 10% off just by using the code the talk show at checkout when you buy a coffee subscription. So that means you get a total of 20% off every bag just for learning about Trace Pone Dust from, from this show. Uh, you got to enter that code at checkout to get that deal. So my thanks to Trace Pone Dust for their continuing support of the talk show. Uh, I want to mention, mention that Apple has some experience in this making something a lot like the bigger product but making it cheaper like, and, and look no further than the iPad lineup. And again, that's sort of what has biased me towards the, they should have a just plain whatever, and then one called the Pro, you know, mm -hmm. like iPad and iPad Pro, uh, although that ignores the uh, iPad Mini, which is still hanging around. Um, but the iPad is now down to $329, and it's a pretty, you know, there's obviously some compromises compared to the iPad Pro. Um, but, you know, they've added things like the Pencil, uh, pencil support. It's a pretty good computer. And so, yes, there's compromises, but none that are, you know, like, oh, this is a bad machine. This is actually a wonderful iPad for most people. No, it's a good, I think that that is the, like, the flawless example of them getting their house in order because the iPad line was kind of a mess and they did some really smart things in terms of kind of breaking off the one iPad and letting it kind of move down in price. And then, that also freed them to make the iPad Pro, which I use every day, more powerful because yeah. then like the people who the people who care about this stuff, they will they will spend a thousand dollars on an iPad Pro and it's right. great. And everybody else can just get the iPad and they're gonna be very happy. And it's the right mixture. Like that that should be how I think the laptop line should be very similar, right. right? You should you should have the ones that are super powerful and then you should have the ones that everybody else is gonna be very happy with. They're not not crappy. They're not last year's or two years ago's model. They're just enough yep. for for people to have a really good experience who don't need all the all the fancy bells and whistles because those people will be happy to spend more money on getting the like me like the MacBook the MacBook Pro the Mac iMac Pro uh, and the iPad Pro. Like if you want one of those, you spend the money and it's totally worth it because you know what you're getting. And everybody right. else gets that iPad. That iPad is great and its price is amazing. 
given where Apple's iPad pricing has been. And I think people like it. I think that the sales have shown that that, yep. that is a strategy that really works now, having the two different lines of iPad. Yeah, and it works for Apple. Uh, it's it's stabilized at least iPad sales, if not increased them slightly, but it's leveled off the decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's good for Apple because the iPad is selling well. It is good for consumers because I feel like there's an iPad for everyone and they understand it too. It is easily understood what the differences are. Like you can look at an iPad and, you know, I, I, there, you know, I, I remember, you know, being in college and knowing where I always, <laughs> there, I know exactly where on Drexel's campus there was the ATM machine that would like let you take out $10 bills. <laughs> So that if I had $17 left in my checking account, I could still get some cash. Like, I know what it's like to be strapped for cash. So mm-hmm. I, I can also imagine, and at the, you know, as a, even then a technology enthusiast, I could see craving an iPad Pro and having to settle for the iPad for budgetary processes, but, you know, purposes. But I also think that there's an awful lot of people who would go in and, you know, could, if they wanted to afford a more expensive iPad, but look at the iPad and, are informed of the differences and don't care about the differences and just get the regular iPad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the way to do it. That's, and it makes sense, right? Before it was sort of like, well, you know, which iPad do I want? It's like, now it's, I think it's pretty clear. Like these have this pay, pay more. These don't, pay less and it's like all right great and they, even the size like because that first ipad pro well the first was the 12.9 but then they did the 9.7 and it was like okay wait a second now you've got like an ipad air 2 and an ipad pro 9.7 right. and so they're exactly the same and so the next rev they're like no it's 10.5 screen now we they're right. pushing it and i think this fall we'll probably see them push even further away with what makes an iPad Pro an iPad Pro. And that's like that level of clarity, I think, is really good for a product line, which is why it's been so frustrating to look at the MacBook line and be like, what is happening? What what are you guys doing there? And I think Apple, I mean, what, what I feel bad is like Apple, the people inside Apple know. Like they know they they knew this was a problem way before we did probably, but they know that it just is going to take. They probably there was like two years where yeah. they're like, yeah, we're going to have to take our lumps for two years while we sort this one out. Yeah, a, and maybe they'll reach the end of the line. Maybe they'll finally get something that makes sense this fall. I hope so. A very slow moving ship to turn around. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I think so. I think the other kudo that they deserve for the current lineup of iPads is that the. Both iPad Pros, the 10.5 and the 12.9, are a bit long in the tooth. They're certainly more each more than a year old, and nobody and you know people expect based on just you know sticking your finger in the air and thinking, well, it seems like they should be new ones soon. And based on the rumor, you know, there are rumors that there's ones coming out with significantly shrunk bezels. You know, everything has smaller bezels these days. Um, but there's nobody's really like up in arms like, boy, these are these are outdated. Right. Like they did such a good job with mm. the current available iPad pros that they were they could last for well longer than a 12 month cycle uh, and be completely credible as as still being good purchases today. I'm still using my iPad Pro that I bought in December of what was that 15? The original hmm. 12.9 iPad Pro is still my mobile device of choice, basically. And it's great. Yeah, it doesn't have the True Tone. doesn't have the wide color gamut. but uh, And it's not, not as good a processor. But uh, it's still great. It's still legitimately great. And I'm going to buy a new one this fall. But I will have gotten three years out of that thing. Yeah, and that's not, a tremendous. Without any, any moaning and complaining about right. it. It's still pretty great. Yeah. Um, so back to the MacBooks. 
<laughs> I still I don't know. Mm. I, uh, I, st- I don't think they're I, I think the bottom line is that they're not going to completely get out of this mess this year. Mess being a lineup that offers tr- significant clarity because I don't you know, I don't even rumors aside, I don't think they're going to get rid of the 12 inch MacBook. But I don't think the 12 inch MacBook can serve as their low end model, even if they could sell it for nine ninety nine. I don't think that would be a good idea. And so I, yeah, think, I think they do need something else, whether that's the MacBook Escape with a new name or, you know. And maybe and maybe engineered to be made out of cheaper bits or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Or whether it's that new thing. I think it's got to be one of those, too, because I think you're right. I don't think they could just take the MacBook, make it nine ninety nine, and say, see, buy it now. Yeah. I'm not, I, I think people would be a little resistant because it's unless, – unless they do some upgrades to it, which would – probably preclude it being 999 it's going to have the one port and it's small and it's got a small screen and that's going to turn a lot of people off so yeah. it doesn't seem to be the right vehicle to do it might be the right vehicle to get to 999 they could probably do that but it, it the air isn't just succeeding because it's 999 yeah maybe it's as simple as just effectively taking the macbook escape and given an extra what it almost two years, right? I think that, that those came out in 2016. I forget if there was a speed bump, but the original ones were 2016. Um, and just being able to put what that is today into a wedge-shaped case that's more like the air, right? Yeah. And then that separates, because that wedge, the difference between, what, what would you call the MacBook Pro? It's like, is that rectilinear? The way that it doesn't have any kind of wedge or teardrop shape to it yeah it's just a yeah it's just a uh yeah it's a rectangle extruded it's just it is just a shape it's not it doesn't have a weird shape it's just kind of a a a blob and yeah the the air had that that kind of wedge and was a little curvier right if they just took the effectively just took the uh macbook escape put it in a wedge-shaped aluminum case because maybe you know they could do this or that to you know reduce the amount of battery and whatever else was in there without affecting battery life with two years of advances in power efficiency and there you go and then it's visually distinctive from the MacBook Pros in addition to which name is stamped underneath the display because oh I see it's teardrop shape that's more like the Air I also think there's um I mean, there's an argument to be made. Marco uh, talked about this quite a lot when he was buying and returning his uh, MacBook Escape uh, or Escapes. I think he might have done it more than once. Is that technically the part, the processor that's in the Escape is the successor to the processor that's in the Air. Right. So, like, and if you look at the weight, this is one of my favorite things is look at the weight and the size of the 13-inch MacBook Escape compared to the 13-inch MacBook Air, they're practically the same. They're right. not quite there. It is that MacBook Escape with a weird name where it's like there's two 13 MacBook Pros. Like, it's hard for me not to think that they really intended that for it to be a MacBook, and then they realized that they had to sell it for fifteen ninety nine, and they couldn't call it a MacBook. They had to call it a MacBook Pro. Yeah. But I do wonder, I do wonder... If their way, I think it's a scenario, just spitballing here, that they find a way to get that thing to be not quite as nice and not quite as advanced, but right. enough to shove it down in the product line to have it be kind of down there with the MacBook. And not and ideally, by the way, just purely on semantics, I know that you and I like to talk about how products get named and product lines get formed. Like, that th- we do not need 13 
inch MacBook Pro with Touch Bar and right. without Touch Bar, right? Like right. that needs to stop. That right. MacBook Escape. It's a cute nickname, but like it needs a real name that is not the name of another computer currently being sold. That's got to stop. I try to avoid using nicknames, uh, not not out of uh, allegiance to Apple's marketing whims. I mean, because for example, I refuse to like spell Mac OS with a lowercase M or <laughs> Mac Mini with a lowercase M or anything like that. So it's not out of that. It's just that I don't want. I I, I find it it can be a little bit disdainful. You know, that it's it's not like I feel like you have to do yeah. what Apple says, but I feel like it's disdainful. But I actually feel like the MacBook Escape thing is so much more clear. Like people know what that is. And when you do the mouthful 13 inch MacBook Pro without touch bar, it is like you have to stop and think. It's like a double negative almost. Yeah. You know, and the like, name the name includes something that it doesn't have in the product. <laughs> right. It's like it doesn't it's it's the thing that it doesn't have. There right. are lots of things that that computer doesn't have. It doesn't have you know, a, a, a spinning wheel. It doesn't have a USB-A port. It doesn't have their, you know, a floppy drive. It doesn't, there's lots of things it doesn't have, including the touch bar, which is in its name that it doesn't have it. Like, right. it's just, I, I agree with you. Also, there's a communication thing. Like, you reach a lot of people who are not tuned in to what's happening on Marco's podcast or, you know, other places in the Apple kind of blogosphere. And so... It, these names are cute. Like Marco always called the MacBook, the um, 12 inch MacBook, the MacBook One. Right. And I kind of like that as a little bit of a needle to Apple for like, there's only the one port on it. But if you, if you use that name, people are going to be like, I don't get it. What, what are you talking about? I, that's, like, a, so, that's a perfect example of a nickname yeah. that I, I either avoided or mostly avoided. That's a perfect yeah. example. I, um, I just call it the 12 inch MacBook and right. leave it at that. That, that is that, that you can gain some clarity on for people, but the MacBook escape, like not only is it kind of a great name, makes me think of like it's a journey album. It's weird, like it's a throwback. It's like why why is this happening? Is it trying to escape? We don't know. Uh, but it needs a name because basically Apple didn't give it a name. They just said that it's not the other one. And uh, I hope I hope it because it's actually a pretty great computer. I hope it kind of escapes yeah. the. Uh, oh, see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, escapes the MacBook Pro name and gets some other name because yeah. it really doesn't. It deserved to be uh, my my. I do wonder though if maybe it just we haven't seen the likes of it, uh, or, or we've seen the last of it. That what we're going to get is like a reconstituted Mac MacBook Escape. And yep. That's something else. Uh, I another thing I'm going to promise to put this in the show notes. But somebody on Twitter today, in the midst of all this conversation about this, um, I remembered it. I remembered it. The this bit from Phil Schiller at the debut of the current generation of of MacBook Pros. Um, and basically, he's making the point that the 13-inch Mac, new MacBook Pro is roughly the same size and weight as the MacBook Air. Yeah. Um, but somebody linked to that part of the video, like, and had they even, you know, used the little code on YouTube to start right, right at the point where he's talking about it. And it's actually, it's, you know, it's Phil Schiller at his best and Apple at their best at making some points that it might be a bit delicate to make like here you've introduced you've spent all this time bragging about the touch bar this new invention that they're very proud of and that it is expensive and that they want people to be excited about um and i'll link to the video because i, I don't want to summarize the whole thing because it's really so good but he makes the point that hey we still love the macbook air we're still selling the macbook air that's fine we know people like it 
but we challenged the team. That, that's like a phrase that often comes up with Apple, mm-hmm. right? But it, you know, it means this was tricky, but we challenged the team to maybe do a version with this MacBook Pro that might be tempting for people looking at the MacBook Air. And it has the function keys that you're used to. Um, and, uh, you know, a starting price that was lower. You know, I forget. What is the starting price? Twelve ninety nine. I forget if it was then twelve ninety nine. It was not. That was something was that in the last rev, Yeah, right. they cut it by a couple hundred, yeah, which is like, interesting, right? Yeah, That's because, like, right. Pulling it, away from the pros even more. <laughs> right. If it was fourteen ninety nine in November of 2016 and then dropped to twelve ninety nine a year later, could it drop another $200 now? And maybe even with, you know, like a thinner case or something. Um, but anyway, he made the point that the footprint is smaller because they reduced the bezels, but it's still a 13.3 inch diagonal. So if the bezels are reduced, then the footprint uh-huh. has to be reduced. Um, and by volume, it was like 13% smaller, even though it doesn't have the wedge shape because of the footprint smaller, it actually does it. They showed a little video of a 13 inch MacBook Pro on top of a MacBook Air you know, just lids closed and you could see how much smaller it is by surface area on the yeah. footprint. Uh, and that the weight was exactly the same. I mean, it's literally, I mean, it's not quite exactly, it's one ounce difference. It's like, you know, like two business cards on top of a MacBook air and you've got the same weight as the 13 inch MacBook escape. So the mm-hmm. weight is exactly the same 3.0 pounds footprint, smaller volume is smaller. So if they could make that volume even smaller, that would really be, a, you know, a, a, you know, in some ways, ignoring the 12-inch MacBook, it would be a nice successor to the MacBook Air as we know it. Yeah, it it is essentially, that's the thing that I think gets lost in the naming is that it is that. It's the same processor. The It's doesn't not the same price, not the same name, but same processor class, same weight, yeah. same size, essentially functionally the same size because although right. it doesn't have the wedge, it's I think it's you know other dimensions have contracted and yeah. like it's a it's a great laptop. I think I think the big problem with it was the yeah it was introduced at way too high a price and they obviously did made some effort to get it down yeah. in price a couple hundred bucks. So now it's um, it's basically the same price as the MacBook. Um, <laughs> and so I can see I, I, one, of the, one of these days I want to hear. I got to tell you, I, one of these days I really want to hear what happened. Like, I do too. This is so clearly like All something right. went wrong, and I don't know what, but like they totally didn't plan it this way. They didn't plan to be selling the MacBook Air in 2018. Right? Like, there's no way they they don't. Nobody at Apple said, "I got a great idea. Let's sell two different 13 inch MacBook Pros. Right. That'll be great. People will love that." No, they had to because something went wrong, and one day maybe we'll find out what what happened that surprised them that they yeah. uh, that they couldn't do it. Yeah, one thing Apple really cares about is the way their things look. I mean, and a lot of times when they'll cheap out on things, it's not by making them look worse. And look at the iPad versus iPad Pro, right? It's it, it's a great looking tablet. It's still made of an aluminum back. Yeah, it's not they're not cheap plastic or anything right. like that. And, yeah. and so, it, like, I don't think that the 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 iPad has true tone, right? There's no way that 329 iPad has true tone. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think it. I think that's one of the ways that it's less expensive. But that's that's like nice to have, and I do love True Tone. But it's, you know, but having a non-retina display looks bad. I mean, it really is. You know, you just look right at it. It looks ridiculous in, in to my eyes today. Uh, and they know it. I think they're embar- they have to be embarrassed by it. Nobody, nobody at Apple is happy that they're still selling it in 2018. 
And it's so unfortunate, really, really is that the timing on this, you know, I think the other one of those other backstories is I think whatever's going on behind the scenes that whatever MacBooks they might be announcing later this year, I think they had really hoped to have announced earlier this year, because anybody who got a laptop for back to school is getting a, you know, got a 13 inch MacBook Air with a non retina screen. I had so many people ask me this summer because I wrote a piece last summer about what laptop you should buy. Yep. And this summer, they're all like, oh, yeah, what what's the update to that? And I said, quite frankly, there isn't one. Um, and that was like, people were getting gifts for graduates. Yeah. And I said, I, I got nothing. And then WWDC happened, and it's like, I still don't have anything. And then a month goes by, and they update the pros, but only the pros, not even the escape. And so now we're at the point where everybody's going, you know, college students are back in school. My kids are back in school. Like that whole period is over and they completely missed it. And you got to think they would have rather yeah. not missed it. So that's that's another part of the story. Like I feel for, I feel for them on the same. They obviously made some bad calls. They obviously made some calls that turned out to be wrong. Um, I feel bad for the people involved because like when you make that mistake, then you got to live with it for years what before it really can get resolved and that i you know that's why i keep coming back to i hope they resolve it this fall like i don't know if they're going to be able to do it but like i saw what they did with the ipad where that was a mess and it took them a couple of years but now it makes sense and i hope that that happens with the with the consumer part of the macbook line yeah i have to say uh, uh, while i'm on this i always want to mention this that one thing i've never recovered from and i've been using i think I think I went right from the 11-inch Air to this 13-inch MacBook Pro in 2014. I don't think there was anything in between. Um, One thing I've still... So it's at least four years. One thing I still have never recovered from is when pulling it out of a bag using the wedge shape to orient it as I take it out and Mm -hmm. knowing which way is front and which is back. And I still, for four years, when I take this one out, it is like a 50-50 chance whether I'm going to put it on the desk the right way. And if anything, I've also got this weird, totally old school PowerBook user habit of orienting by looking at the Apple logo the wrong way. Like (laughs) one thing, unless you're an old coot like us, you will not remember. And you'll think, well, why in the world would they have done that? Is that for the first many years of power books the apple logo was oriented what you would now call upside down such that the apple logo looked correct when the laptop was closed in front of you the user yes and then when open and in use was upside down to anybody looking at your at you face on um to what we now know is the the proper way to do it. But, and I, it, the funny thing too, I, I think I wrote about this on daring fireball as an aside recently that there are still people who are very angry about that decision who want it to be the other way because they, they have a mindset that this is their computer and the Apple logo should look correct to them, which means that, and I guess that was the thinking Apple originally had when they did it that way. Um, that you, the user, owner of this laptop, should have the Apple logo look correct when it's closed in front of you. Um, and they feel that now that it's oriented the other way, they see it the wrong way, and their their machine is acting as an advertisement for Apple by having it oriented the correct way for everybody looking at it. 
Now, I disagree with that. I actually think it should look correct while it's being used, not not correct mm-hmm. while it's not being used. But the downside of it is I still if I still sometimes look, I think, oh, there's the Apple logo, and I put it down in front of me, and the hinge is facing me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, can, I, can I blow your mind with something? Um, I use my iPad almost entirely in horizontal orientation, and the uh, Apple logo is vertical all the time. So I'm always using it sideways. And... <laughs> It's a legacy of the iPhone being vertically oriented, but like I really believe the iPad is a horizontal device, and it's like, uh, forget it. Unless they make like a swiveling Apple logo or right. something, it's just like I don't, I don't know. Something, some use case is going to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I guess is the the truth of it. But uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Although you know, a cynical person would say they decided that the logo was to advertise it to others instead of it being for you to have that little moment, but I still think it was the right decision. Um, and if there's anything I miss when they changed the, uh, the laptops in the last couple of years, it's that the Apple doesn't light up anymore. Cause that was pretty yeah. amazing. And you could never miss a Mac laptop in a cafe yep. when they lit up. Now well, it's a little bit easier to miss them. Well, or, or like that, that famous, famous picture from around 10 years ago, uh, of like a university lecture hall, you know, that with a very slope, very high slope, you know, like stadium seating. And, you know, it was just some kind of undergraduate lecture hall and like a wide angle view from the, you know, professor's standpoint. And it was like every student had a laptop. So it was, it was sort of like a sign of the times in a couple of ways is like when you and I went to college, nobody had laptops. No. Uh, uh, and you know, by 10 years ago, every student had a laptop. They had them open. That's what they did to take their notes and whatever else. And it just, just the number of them that had glowing Apple logos was just staggering just as a sign of, wow, look at how Apple has taken over like the college student, you know, portable market. Um, you just don't get that anymore without the glowing thing. Marco and I talked about that and I guess I, I never, I never did the research to figure this out. I spouted off and said that, um, that at some point originally the app may you, hopefully maybe you can know this. I, I was going to do research and I, <laughs> I didn't originally the Apple logo was illuminated from the display. So there, mm-hmm. it, all they had to do was just put a translucent piece of Apple logo shaped plastic back there and the display of the old LCDs or LEDs, whatever they were called at the time, just glowed in both directions. And that modern LCDs don't work that way that at some point, you know, they really only glow in one direction and that Apple had to put in a separate, uh, thing to light up the Apple logo. Um, interesting. I, I had not heard that. And I don't know if that's that would true be amazing not. if, if they're, if they had to cheat, <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't test it at the time. Cause all I had was this new MacBook pro that doesn't have a glowing Apple logo. And I said, like in the old days, I knew that when you change the brightness on the display, it changed the brightness on the Apple logo. And, and what people have written in to say is that that never changed. The brightness control for the display always controlled the brightness color of the Apple logo, even if I'm correct that they ended up having different lighting elements to make it work. And it may Makes sense that it would because anywhere where you now that I think about it, like if you're in, you know, using it in bed next to a sleeping partner uh, and you want to have the brightness down low because the room is dark and your eyes don't need a bright screen and you don't want a bright screen to bother, you know, you're trying to sleep partner, you wouldn't want the Apple logo growing, glowing real bright either. So, of course, right. they were 
tied to the same brightness center. But I, I do think, though, that the, I really do think it's true, even, even though, once again, I'm just pulling this out of my ass. I really do think that at a certain point that when the screen technology changed, they actually put in a separate lighting thing for the Apple logo. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and and it, it was a cool thing. It was a cool feature. Like um, on ATP, it might have even been the same episode where your laptop got wet. Um, they were talking about whimsy and people misinterpret what whimsy means. But like, I did hear that episode. It is the whimsy is like I always viewed some of the stuff that Apple did as we did this because it was cool and we could do it. Right. And it was not because it was practical, but because we're Apple and we're going to push a little bit further. We're going to make it cool. So in the case of the cutout on the back, that probably started with somebody saying, oh, my God, look at this. We could we could like cut out the Apple logo and it'll light up when it's in use. That's amazing. Right. And then later they get a screen. And they're like, oh, no. And somebody's like, put in a light. We have to keep the light yeah, up yeah. logo. They're like, yeah, OK, we'll do that. Or the um, the one that Marco brought up that I think is great is the the breathing sleep light. Yeah. Which is like totally unnecessary. But because when you look on PC laptops, they would always have like hard drive access light and Wi-Fi mm-hmm. light and all these things. It's like, forget that. We'll put that on screen. But when it's closed, it's going to do the slow pulse to let you know that it's there and that it's still alive and that it's in sleep mode and not shut down. And yeah. like, do they need to do that? They totally didn't need to do that. Light on the light on the power charger, right? Like, do they need to do it? No, absolutely not. But it was a nice little bit. Right. And I, I would, you know, I like that about Apple. I yeah. like I like them having those little things that we do because it's cool, because it makes you appreciate how cool your product that you spent money on looks. Not necessarily this more cynical, like how cool it makes you look, but like how good it makes you feel that it it does this thing that is pointless, but cool. Um, It's funny you brought that up because that was one of those points listening to ATP where I wish I could have jumped in in and started talking. (laughs) For anybody who doesn't remember, for a long time, PowerBooks even and MacBooks, but even in the aluminum era, they figured out a way to do it through the aluminum. They would have, when your laptop was sleeping, there was a a little light that would pulse on and off to indicate. Gently pulse. Right. right? It didn't blink on and off. mm -hmm. It would slowly glow on, slowly glow off. And it was more or less timed to like the average breathing rate of a sleeping person. It was a very soothing Mm -hmm. uh, rate and a very I, it was like my nightlight for many yeah. years. I would I would wake up in the middle of the night and I look at the ceiling and the ceiling would very slowly pulse brighter and then darker very yeah. subtly and I knew that was because my laptop was you know by the side of my bed and that right. that light was just faintly illuminating the room. Right. So doing it with the pace tied to sleep, like a very soothing, you know, like having a, a Bob Ross type soothing voice tell you to breathe slowly mm-hmm. and, you know, really help you relax. You know, that is whimsical and making sure that it didn't just blink on and off, that it had like this nice, you know, curve to how bright and then it's off. You know, that's all whimsy by paying attention to stuff like that, making the effort to get that to work through aluminum, even, you know, when they couldn't just put a hole in the aluminum to make a light. All of that is great. But there was also a purpose to having it in the first place. And I I do kind of miss it. I wouldn't mind if they added that light back. But I can kind of see why they got rid of it. But what I remember specifically was that in the early years of portable computers, there wasn't sleep. (laughs) Your computer was on or off. And when you were done using it, you had to turn it off. And, you know, then they came out with sleep 
And, you know, I'm, I, you might think I'm biased, but I think this was, I think this was undisputable at the time. And, you know, like in the mid nineties where power books, the sleep was reliable and on PC portables, the sleep was a crapshoot, whether it would actually wake up or still be asleep or whether it would crash while it was supposedly sleeping. Like at a technical level, Apple got sleep done right better years before Microsoft and the PC makers got it together. Um, but even then, even when sleep was much more reliable on power books than it was on the PC side, it was nowhere near as reliable as it is today. In my opinion, there were still times when you'd think your power book was sleeping and it either never went to sleep and like, it was actually still like burning through the CPU or it would go to sleep and crash or something like that. So having that light glowing and knowing that you're, your power book was still successfully, you know, and healthily sleeping was actually useful. It was a useful indicator to me, at least. Oh, oh yeah. Well, there was a really nasty bug where sometimes you'd close the lid and it would not go to sleep. And I had that happen to me so many times where I would take my laptop, I'd open my backpack at home, having come on the bus from work and it was hot. I could tell, yes. like, yeah, I put yeah. my hand toward it. I was like, oh, uh, no. And yes. The, it, it had, you know, run through its battery. It was still running, <laughs> lid closed. I open it up. The screen doesn't come back on. I got to force power it down. Like, yeah, there were a few years there where sleep was uh, really, really unreliable. I know that it still happens, uh, especially when you run lid closed. It can get really confused. But, like, even when I did things, like, I would unhook, I would open my laptop and unhook my external monitor, get it to be like, all right, are you good? Or you feel like a laptop now? Now I'm going to close you. And yep. still half the time, yep. it would not go to sleep. You wouldn't get the little pulsating light. It was um, frustrating. Yeah, remember in the, in the like, Mac OS 9 era, the, with the Platinum user interface, there was a user alert style with, like, a, a red top. It was sort of a pink actually but it was like it was like reserved for like really really bad alerts there was you know i think that the you've only got five percent battery life was like one of those where it would come up and it was like the alert you didn't want to see if you if you had thought your your machine was sleeping in your backpack for all this time and there were the other thing too again you know going down memory lane in addition to the fact that sleep is more reliable now uh when when a machine died in sleep back then, there were a lot of bad things that happened. You know, like if you had files that were open, they, they <laughs> you were, lost they the changes. Dead. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. There's an awful lot of apps. I mean, even wonderful, wonderful apps like BB Edit, which has always been ahead of the curve on things like autosave and uh, restoring and stuff like that. But you know, if you had like a BB Edit thing open and the machine died, it was like there was a good chance you'd lose some of it. Yeah, they added a feature at one point, in fact, that I remember being really grateful for. That was they built in their own autosave that happened in the background. Even if it was in an untitled file, it would be saved somewhere. It's funny, though. Ironically, um, the worst sleep failures I had were when Apple put in a new feature that was if the battery died, it would, and they still do this to this day, it would write the contents of memory to disk. Right. And then, and, and this is the deep sleep. They do this not just when the battery dies, but after it's been asleep for some period of time. If you've ever had that, you put your laptop to sleep and you come back the next day and it looks kind of like it's booting up, but then it's just back and right. you didn't actually reboot. That is loading. They, they do a deep shutdown. Memory gets voided, but they've written the memory to disk and then they load the memory back in and then they pick up right where you left off. Well, the early days of that feature... <laughs> 
um, sometimes it would try to go to sleep and it would be like, oh, something terrible happened. I'm dead. And that would be it. It wouldn't go to sleep and it would sit there and it would get hot and then you have to reboot and you lost everything. And right. eventually they got through it. But that was, I really remember that. I would do like command line stuff where I'd be like, do not do try to that. page right. to disk because it will kill my laptop and just turn that feature off for a couple of years while they, while they get it settled. I remember turning that off on a machine too. And it was also at a time when... Uh, storage sizes hadn't raced so far ahead of RAM sizes. And it you could possibly be, especially if you had like a machine maxed out on RAM, you, you could run into a situation where there wasn't enough space on disk or it was so close that it would fill up the disk to such a level that it would cause problems just by writing that file to, oh, yeah. to disk. You know, it that, still happens on some. There's still some small drives even now on modern Macs where you can actually get a little bit of savings by turning that feature off and deleting your... Uh, your save, your RAM save file, and you're like, hey, I got another couple gigabytes back. Another good thing, I just wrote about it today, but I literally published right before we started recording, so I'll bet you haven't seen it, but I can bring it, I can just say what it is, is I wrote a short piece on, uh, inspired by a a, a mutual friend, Jeff Carlson, tweeted yesterday about all these years later and shake to undo still stinks or something like that uh, or a dumb idea. I forget. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Hold on. Let me look it up. But anyway, yeah. I wrote a piece on shake to undo. No, and it's I- good. It's good. And the, the fundamental un- misunderstanding I think is, is undo good? And the answer is yes. Undo is good. Is right. the only way to undo being to grab your phone and like shake it in the air like an idiot. Is that good? Yeah, maybe not. Uh, Here's Jeff Carlson's tweet. So many years in and shake to undo is still one of the worst, stupidest ideas in iOS. Um, <laughs> I would add, but I would add, though, I bring it up in the in the, in this it, that it is an example, though, of whimsy. Right. It is whimsical to use the accelerometer to to add this feature. Uh, you know, and I, I add I add this anecdote that I heard years ago. I don't know if it's true because I did not hear it firsthand. So who knows? But the idea, the story I heard, somewhat reliably, but again, not firsthand, is that at some point, like two or three years into iOS, like at the time where they were, you remember, it was only iOS three that added cut, copy, and paste. Like that's how much iOS rethought the entire idea of a graphical user interface. Um, and they knew they wanted undo. But if you think about it, it's really hard on a little glass iPhone size thing where every little finger size bit of surface area is valuable and the keyboard isn't available all the time. And even when the keyboard is showing, there are no modifier keys. So you can't do command Z for undo. How do you do undo? Um, and the Newton did it by adding an actual, like, one of, like, six... There are six hardware buttons under the screen that were there permanently, and one of them was undo. That's that's how hard it is to do undo on a on a touchscreen without a menu bar and without command key shortcuts. And so the Newton solution was to just have one of... One-sixth of the buttons that were on the screen, one of them was undo. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, they're not going to do that with the iPhone. And I don't think it would have been a good... It's a tricky problem to solve. And the story I heard, though, is that Scott Forstall got a bunch of iOS engineers together. And so we got to figure this out. Somebody come up with an idea. And somebody said, as a joke, you could just shake the phone. You know, we read the accelerometer. And when anybody shakes the phone, we'll do undo. And it was meant as a joke because it was so obviously a terrible idea. But Forstall jumped on it and said, I love it. Let's do that. And, you know, here we are. It, it's ingenious. It really is. I just keep thinking like 
And maybe some of this is evangelizing. Um, you point out in that piece that the iPad, you know, there's an undo button in the strip, in the autocorrect strip, basically, above the keyboard. Right. And it's always there. And there's actually, when you've got something on the clipboard, there's also a paste button there, which is really nice when you're editing text. If you're yeah. in an app like uh, some of the, the photo editing apps, they have a, um, you know, they have an explicit undo button. But I get that, like, every now and then you're somewhere... And you're in an app that does not have like a content interface that's drawn up that has a, an undo button and you do something and you're like, oh, no. And the shake to undo. I mean, the fact is, it's well, it's not always there. I was going to say that, but apps have to support it. But at least it's something that you can use as a last resort. But I don't disagree with Jeff that like right. ideally this should be solved. And I think Apple has tried to start solving it by like putting it in context in like the text editing strip above the keyboard, whatever they call that, the right. smart something or other. But, right. But uh, here, I'll just throw out an example. This is just right off the top of my head. Um, terrible idea. They could have said put four fingers on the iPhone screen and move down. And that's undo. And that also is a terrible idea, is not discoverable, not something people would intuitively know about. You have to hear about it from somebody and then remember it and then do it. But that would have no whim. There's no whimsy to that at all, right? So shake to undo, the one thing that it does have going for it, as opposed to, let's say, a four-finger swipe down or swipe in a circle or whatever you want to do with multi-fingers, um, uh Shake to undo does have whimsy. And that's why I brought it up in the context of these, whatever happened to Apple and whimsy is there, there was in, you know, times past more of a, I don't, I don't think shake to undo would, would, would fly today. I really, I don't think they would do that again. No, no. I wonder what you could do. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard problem. That's the funny thing is like shake to undo is ridiculous. I think the fact that it still exists says something about how hard it is, though, to solve that problem. Yeah, it is hard. It's really hard. You can't take it out unless you replace it with something, and it's very hard to do. So it remains. It is super ingenious. Maybe at some point they'll just um, have that sensor bar in the front will, like, see us scowling and be like, I sense that they made a mistake. (laughs) Would you like to undo it? Like, just an eyebrow-based undo system, maybe, eventually. I don't know. Maybe the best solution would be to just have it listen and, you know, if you You just say undo. Siri... Siri as an undo, hey, a Siri, Siri undo. shortcut. That is yeah. actually not bad. <laughs> hey Siri, undo. Oh, I should. I shouldn't be saying that. I should say, hey Dingus. But well, whatever. Well, Ahoy, so, wait, Dingus. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't bother anybody who has this podcast playing audibly because Siri doesn't support undo yet. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> just wait until Hey Siri can support. You know, wipe my hard drive. <laughs> be all sorts of fun on <laughs> podcasts. Um, all right, let me take one last break here and thank our third and final sponsor. It is our good friends at Casper. Oddly enough, a year ago, when you were on the episode a year ago, Casper and Squarespace were sponsors of the show. So it, this is truly uh, an amazing serendipity. Look, what is Slapper? Cat Slapper, what the hell am I talking about? Casper. Casper is a sleep brand. I obviously conflated sleep and Casper and came up with Slapper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. Uh, They've got their own engineering team. They really do. This isn't like some kind of thing where they buy uh, Chinese mattresses and put a Casper sticker on them and sell them to you with their own branding or whatever. They've got their own engineering team and they design these mattresses and they uh, put them together right here in the USA. Um, 
look, you spend a third of your life sleeping. You deserve to be comfortable. They've got three models now. They've got uh, the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface, a breathable design. So you don't get too hot. You don't get too cold. Everything breathes. And they have two other new mattresses, the wave and the essential. The wave features a patent pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. They've got the essential that's their streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. It's still a great mattress. And they've got a wide variety now of other products like pillows, sheets, comforters, stuff like that. I, I honest to God, I'm, it's not, they did, they sent me a mattress a long time ago free and I use it and I like it. Um, but I've since we, we bought, I mean, this is just out of pocket, bought the, the comforter. We've got, uh, I've got the pillows on my side me of the too. bed. I bought the uh, sheets and the pillows. Uh, yeah. The comforter. I got to tell you, I'm just telling you, and again, I'm selling a mattress here on a sponsor read, but I'm telling you, we had an old comforter, my wife and I, that I don't even know how many years we'd had it. One of those things that you just, you don't really keep track of how old it is. And my it was my wife's idea. She said, she I don't know if she read something or something, but you know how comforters have those, they're like rows of stitching. And the idea is that keeps the the internal whatever it's filled with from getting all on one side or at the bottom or the top. It's you know the way that comforters are stitched is to try to keep that. But that over time, those it it doesn't work anymore, and it, it, you end up with a bad distribution. And I swear to God, we got the Casper uh, comforter sometime a couple months ago, and it was still chilly. And the difference in like regulating my temperature when I slept was unbelievable. It really is. Um, it's really it's a bizarre thing. It's just one of those things that I never would have thought would be a big deal, but getting a new comforter was absolutely a huge upgrade. And I love their pillows. Um, we also we have the new Casper Wave in our guest bedroom, and it's so good that my son was who has a regular Casper mattress was like sleeping on it for, for three nights, and we're like, get out of the guest bedroom. You've already got a nice bed. Uh, it's really uh, it it they're just great products, and we love them. We've got them all over the house, and People fight over them. Uh, so here's the deal. I got to tell you this. You can be sure of your purchase, even though if you're in any way skeptical of buying a, an internet mattress without trying it or sleeping on it or jumping on it or whatever you could do in a retail store. They have a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So go order one. Have it show up. It shows up in this tiny little ridiculous, too-small-to-be-good-true box. Um if you get the wave, it even comes with a white glove service where somebody else, they'll, they'll come in and lift it up and take the box to your bedroom and, and, and set it up and stuff like that. Um, and you get a hundred nights to try it out risk-free and then no hassle. Look, 99 days in, you don't want it. Call them up. They'll come take it away and give you all your money back. Uh, that's how confident they are in it. Um, it's a really great product. Uh, so my thanks to Casper. Here's what you got to do. You can get 50 bucks off select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash talk show and using that code talk show at checkout. Uh, and you'll get 50 bucks on select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. So there you go. This is only available for select mattresses. I'm not sure which ones are selected, uh, but there you go. Use that code casper.com slash talk show. And use that code talk show at checkout. Great product. Longtime sponsor of the show. Sponsored our show exactly one year ago. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to bring up. 
but I'm working on one more piece. I'm, I'm prolific this week. At yeah, Dan big Fireball. week for you. Yeah. I've still got another one. It's mostly written and I got, I got interrupted. Uh, is I, I think it's interesting that nobody has been speculating until now about what the hell is Apple going to call the new iPhones this year? Right. Because last year it, and, and this is one of those things that Apple is able to keep secret. It, the name iPhone 10 only leaked like two or three days before the announcement because of a, a, a leak of the GM build of iOS. Right. And even then we didn't know if it was going to be pronounced iPhone X or iPhone 10. And I, I guessed wrong and thought X because I didn't think 10 made a lot of sense. And I was wrong that they were going to pronounce it X, not 10, but I was right that it didn't make a lot of sense because it seems like they've painted themselves into a corner if they want to keep adding numbers. And I'm curious if you have yeah. any thoughts on this. I, uh, yeah, you know, I do. I love this. I, I was the one who was advocating that they get OS 10 off of version 10 and go to 11 for ages, which they could do now at any point if they really oh, wanted to, because God, it's out I of the name entirely. <laughs> It's ridiculous. They're never going to ten point no, it's ten point ninety is going to be the last version. So, uh, yeah, I do. I think it's interesting that they chose ten instead of X for the name of the iPhone because I I think doing like an iPhone X two would be cool, but ten two doesn't make any sense. So, I um I'm gonna say I think what it's going to be is I think there, there are these three rumored phone models. I think it's going to be the iPhone 9, the iPhone 10, new 2018 version, hmm. and the iPhone 10 Plus. I the, think they're going to, I think Apple really likes making multiple products with the same X. Right. The new <laughs> iPhone 10. The new iPhone 10, right? And then ride it like the ones that look like this and have this sensor and do the OLED screen and all that. They're going to be the iPhone 10 for a little while. All right, let me toss I, I, I think, this out. Yeah. I wonder if they might not be done with Plus. Like, so in the way that the 13-inch and 15-inch MacBook Pros are just MacBook Pros and the two sizes of iPad Pro are just iPad Pro, forget the Pro part, even though I still, there's a part of me that thinks that they could go iPhone Pro, but I don't mm -hmm. know that they would go iPhone Pro with this one that looks exactly like the iPhone 10. Right. I think if they were going to switch to iPhone Pro, they'd wait till they had one that looks yeah, visibly later. new. Yeah. But the thing about Plus is... Obviously, the first thing people think of is, okay, the 7 Plus, the 8 Plus are bigger. But the Plus also meant other things, right? The camera was always slightly better. The iPhone Plus models had 3X retina screens, not 2X retina screens. So in addition to being bigger screens, they actually had more pixels per inch. So you were getting more than just a bigger phone. And I don't know the details. I, 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 you know, I have no supply side it, it, but all the rumors I've seen about these two new iPhone 10 models, the one that's exactly the same size as the current iPhone 10 and the big 6.5 inch diagonal one, I haven't seen anybody say that the 6.5 one is going to have any advantage, technical advantage whatsoever, other than a bigger screen, that the cameras will be exactly the same. The pixels per inch of the OLED displays would be the same. Uh, right. So to, more, more pixels, but same resolution the 3x right or are you thinking the same pixels just blown up i would imagine it's just more pixels i would imagine it's just more pixels at the same pixels per inch yeah yeah right? i agree that makes sense so i wouldn't think blown up i would think more pixels but at the exact you know effectively cut from the same sheets of oled um 
But that like, and the thing that always bothered me, and maybe I just read too much into it, but as somebody who doesn't like the biggest size phones and has never Mm -hmm. carried a plus size phone longer than like a week to review one. Yeah. Same here. Um, it always bothered me that I wasn't, I was no longer getting the best possible iPhone camera. You know, that the, the six plus had optical image stabilization for video. The next year it had optical image stabilization for video and stills. I think, I don't know. I know that the technical difference was that it had optical image stabilization and the one year it was video and the one year it was video and stills. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, uh, the second camera. <laughs> Right. And then it got a second camera, you know, which is that's where it really started to hurt. Right. Because you're obviously and I use that second camera a lot. And there, you know, for the you know, I don't know what percentage that would actually be interesting if I could script that somehow and see what percentage of my iPhone pictures I take with which lens. I would guess that I take about 95 percent of my photos with the one X lens and about five, five percent with the two X. But when I take one with the two X, I'm getting a a, some and some of them are great photos and I'm getting image quality that I would never get. That blows away what I would get with a zoomed in version of the one X. That really bothered me, whereas I don't think this one is actually plus other than being bigger. Yeah, but I think in the end, maybe that's all that matters is that it's right. it's bigger. I do have a theory, and it's just a theory. Um, Mike Hurley and I talked about this on, on our podcast Upgrade this week because he's a big Plus phone user, yes. and he's a big Apple Apple Pencil fan. Mm-hmm. And I don't – I think it's less than 50% chance, but I feel like it's the biggest chance we've had in a long time to say maybe this is the year that Apple introduces a phone that has support for a – you know, an Apple Pencil-like device. It would have to be smaller than the current Apple Pencil, but something like that where you could basically say it's like, you know, it's their equivalent of the Galaxy Note, where it's it's a big phone, it's so big, it's like a notebook, uh, you know, like a paper notebook, not a laptop notebook, and you can hold it in your hand and use use our little golf pencil or whatever they call it, and uh, the software's all already there because it's already there for the Apple Pencil on the iPad to do something like that. And that would be a way to differentiate it, right? If, if the iPhone 10 Plus also had Apple Pencil support, because then it sort of makes sense on the bigger screen. You could yeah. sketch, you could write. That's That's a theory. Again, I would probably not put money down on that, but I feel like it might be something they could do to make that a different product in addition to just having it be bigger, which some people... For some people, that's all they really want is a bigger, beautiful yeah. screen. They don't care how big their phone is. They want it as big as possible. Right. I, yeah, that is an interesting theory. And again, nobody, I don't think any rumor has said it, but it also seems like maybe there's a lot we don't know yet about what exactly, you know, mainly what it seems like we know about are the displays that that there's, you know, a 5.8 inch diagonal OLED, which is exactly like the iPhone 10 we have now in the new iPhone 10 which is a, as fine a name, if, whether it's the actual name or not, it certainly is clear what we're talking about. There's a 6.5-inch OLED uh, of similar technology or perhaps exact same technology in this bigger new iPhone X. And that's a, you know, that is pretty, 6.5-inch diagonal is pretty big. It's huge. And yeah. then, weirdly, there's a 6.1-inch diagonal, which is about halfway between with an LCD screen, but also with the iPhone X style notch and corner-to-corner round design that is, you know, obvious, obviously, since it's using an LCD, is going to be lower priced, you know, probably like an $800 starting point. Uh, 
that pencil rumor would be interesting. I could see that, and I could see them making that argument that, you know, because it's 6.5 inches diagonal, it is arguably a small tablet as much as it is a large phone. Exactly. And it's that, not, I mean, yeah, it, it's getting to that point. It's not quite an iPad mini or something like that right. in terms of the, because of the, the uh, aspect ratio and all that. But right. there are a couple of reports about it. It's unclear how much of this is echo chamber yeah. and how much of this is individual reports, but there are a couple of reports that suggest that pencil support could be there for one or both of those models. Yeah, see, that's the question is, would it be one or both? And right? the other nagging thing, yeah, because you could do it for both. It wouldn't have to limit it. Right. The other nagging thing that I'll throw in there is like sometimes Apple does stuff and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then you look later and you're like, oh, they were like moving towards something that we didn't realize is the uh, Apple Pencil and that Logitech crayon on the low cost iPad. Um, I think that's interesting because they built an entire new way, an, a new radio method of connecting a stylus to an iPad for that. Because the uh, the crayon doesn't use the Bluetooth connection that the pencil does. It uses this other radio connection. It means you don't have to pair it. You can actually just write on any iPad in a classroom and it'll work. And at the time, I was like, okay, well, that makes sense for, for schools. And now I look at it and I think, well... Are they tinkering with how pencils work? And are we going to see a new kind of pencil technology in the new iPad Pros this fall? And maybe in the new iPhones this fall? Maybe not. Maybe not. But, like, it, this could be the time that they do something like that. And what I like about this idea is, is that, like I said earlier, they I've done the job. Like, the software is all there. Like, literally, on iOS, I think starting with 11, if you put a pencil onto a lock screen, it turns into a note. Hmm. And you can just take notes and it just it, it's taken automatically into a new note without you even unlocking the device. It's like, how great would that be on a phone? That's pretty smart. And it's already in there. Hmm. My guess is and I I. I could be wrong. I don't. I, I like yours. I do. I might have I might have to steal them. I'm glad I haven't published this article yet. Um, <laughs> uh, I kind of I have this nagging feeling in the back of my head that um so Apple did this thing where they would just add an S at the end of a model year for the second year for a long time. They had the iPhone mm-hmm. 3G, then the 3GS, and the 3GS outsold the 3G. And then they had the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 4S, and the 4S sold out because sales kept going up year over year for, with every year. And in fact, up until a certain point, and I'm not quite sure where that was, iPhone 5 or 5S maybe, but up until a certain point, not only was each successive model year of the iPhone better selling than any previous one – each successive model year outsold all previous model years combined, which is just is a great way to think about how staggeringly fast and how many years the iPhone growth was, where it went from this thing that was, you know, famous with our crowd to being this thing that was everywhere, you know, in the most popular brand name and and most most profitable profit or product ever made. Each year outsold all previous years combined until a ridiculous number of years into the iPhone. 5S outsold the 5. iPhone 6 was absolutely, you know, maybe the most surprisingly best-selling iPhone year ever. Like, Apple was supply-constrained longer than they expected. It was as much as Apple might have anticipated that there were people waiting for bigger iPhones, because that was, of course, the year where it went from 4-inch diagonal to 4.8 and the the plus size 5.5. They were supply constrained. It was unbelievable. 
And then they came out with the 6S, and the 6S was the first iPhone generation that was a, quote, disappointment. And I forget right. to what degree it was. I forget if it didn't actually – I don't think it declined year over year. But oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. did. That was, it did decline that was, year over year. That, right. The 6 year was this huge year, right. and everybody went crazy and like, oh, my God, the iPhone is exploding. Right. And then Apple lived it down the next year where they missed their year over year right. growth, like three right. consecutive quarters, because there was so much pent-up demand for the bigger phones, and the 6 is where they all went. Right. And it's funny because only this year, in the last couple of quarters – has Apple gotten to the point where they're back up to the they're they're now just above the average uh, sales level of that peak? Hmm. It took them like this long for their natural growth to reach the peak of the iPhone six, right? Because so many people have been waiting for a bigger iPhone. I really yeah, do think huge. that's just the base, and they could have called these phones anything they wanted to numbers, letters, totally. And I still think you would have seen that with that first generation of big ones. But I can't help but think that Apple. Uh, it, it saw that and 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 that and I think they might be right that that to some degree in the early years it was still more of a tech person product right it it you know it it it, it slowly transferred from being something for Apple nerds to something for every everyone who could afford one and in that transition the there became more and more of a consumer level awareness of what was new in a new iPhone and less of a, Hey, I, I can tell you that the iPhone five S has a 64 bit processor and that's a big deal because everybody thought 64 bit was years away for mobile, you know, for arm. And it's like, you know, try telling that to a normal person. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, I can't help but think that with the six S there, the perception that, ah, they just took, it's just the same as the iPhone six and they put an S at the end and there's nothing no big it, it's not worth buying and i can't help but wonder if apple got spooked away from that reusing a number two years in a row because people won't see it as a you know as an upgrade mm -hmm. so i don't know but they could you know the word new is powerful so they could just say the the new iphone 10 and maybe that's enough one thing they won't do and i i forget if you mentioned this or not they're not going to call it the the X2, because we're yeah. not supposed to say X, even though exactly. X2 sounds like a cool phone, but we it already does. call it the 10. But they also won't call it the 10S because so many people, and this is one of the reasons I thought they wouldn't pronounce the X as 10, say it X anyway, right? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a majority of the people who walk into an Apple store to buy one call it the iPhone X. It, it's certainly a significant minority. But then those people, they don't want them calling it the XS because then it sounds like the word excess, and that's you know a word with negative connotations. So they're not going to call it the S. Yeah. I, I, we've been waiting for this moment where they say the new iPhone, right? Because I, I think everybody sort of agreed that it seemed unlikely that Apple in, in 10 years' time would be selling the iPhone 17. Right. Right? They, has to get, they have to get off the, the treadmill sometime. And the iPhone 10 being the X instead of a number, uh, even though you say it like a number... I just I looked at that last year and I thought, well, maybe this is maybe they'll get off the treadmill now. Maybe right. not, but it's just like Apple has a history of getting to 10 and being like, this is good. I'm going to stay here for a while. And I could see them doing it. It would be a big deal, keeping in mind that they, if they have an iPhone 9 or whatever they call that LCD phone and they have a plus, like that's two brand new products. So if they have those two and they say also the 10 got better. Right. 
I think that they can get away with that. I don't think people are going to be like, well, they didn't do anything with the 10. It's like, no, it's the new 10. The 10 got better too. Yeah. But the, do they need to give it a new name in and order that, to make that claim? I don't think they do. I think saying it's the new iPhone, it's this year's iPhone, it's the next iPhone 10 is something they could get away with. I, I could, they could. My idea, and, and now that I'm looking at it and I'm listening to you, you're <laughs> changing my mind. But my idea is if they stick with numbers, that they would go iPhone 11, iPhone 11 Plus, and then not uh-huh. Roman numerals, 1 1, and, yeah. I, and iPhone 9 for the LCD version. 11, it could, 11 it could Plus, be. and 9. Maybe I'll finally get my Spinal Tap appearance at an Apple event if they do that. And well, that's I've got that I've got it I've got a goes to 11 joke <laughs> yeah. in my draft. Yeah. There we go. I've got one in there already. Um, and one of the reasons I thought that this might be possible is that it by keeping the numbers two digits apart, not just ten and nine, but eleven and nine, it justifies that two hundred dollar price difference between what I presume to be the starting price of this six point one inch LCD one of eight hundred dollars. And why in the world would you spend an extra two hundred and and probably three hundred to get the plus model? Um, well, it's two generations ahead. I don't know. And then I'll go back. I will go back. um, I'll bang my hop. But here's the thing. Even if they go 11 and 9, what do they do next year? Because the the mid-tier model can't go to 10 because they've already used 10. Like one of the problems is that they can't just keep, I feel like they can't just keep adding a digit to the high end because eventually you're going to get to, like you said, like iPhone 17. I mean, even iPhone 13 might be something they want to avoid. Yeah, nobody... Nobody wants that. So here's a wild card because I've been calling it the iPhone 9 because I don't know what else to call it. But given how different that phone is, like it's way bigger than the iPhone 8 and 7 and 6, right? All of which look exactly the same. Um, It's the same design style. Um, And this is totally different. This is more like an iPhone 10. They might not call it the iPhone 9. It might be called the iPhone something else to differentiate it that isn't number-based at all. Right. Um, And... Uh, again, you look at Apple's other product lines, it gets it uncouples the iPhone from a number or at least a number as the only branding. So then they could have the iPhone whatever and the iPhone the new iPhone 10 and the new iPhone 10 plus. And if they do that, they could keep iterating those products for a while without ever changing their names and well, just saying it's the new one. And I'll here's my idea and this is might just I might be the only one who wants them to go this way, but I'll go back to my guess from last year, which is iPhone Pro for the the OLED models, uh-huh. and maybe with, and I don't think they'd ever say Pro Plus because then it starts to no. sound like a. So they just call them both iPhone Pro, and one of them's bigger and one of them's smaller, exactly like iPad Pro, exactly like MacBook Pro. Both have the same name. One's bigger, one's smaller. Nobody's confused because it's obvious which one's bigger. It's bigger, uh, and then the other one would just be called iPhone. Now, that's that sounds nice and neat, but then it's all conflated by the fact that Apple continues to sell old iPhones for years and years at lower price points beneath yeah. these two new tiers. And then you've got iPhone Pro, iPhone. It sounds good enough, but then you've still got, what, iPhone 7 and iPhone 8 right. or whatever? Well, I don't know what, what they plan to keep around. Embedded in my theory about them just saying it's the new iPhone 10 is the idea that the iPhone 10 is a very high-end product doesn't trickle down right that's part of my theory there right. is that exactly is that maybe they maybe it right. costs 9.99 maybe it goes down in price but like there's no last year's model for sale of the iphone 10 right you don't get you they're not going to sell the old iphone 10 for 8.99 that's like no 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 if you want the iphone 10 
it's $9.99 to start, and you can get the new one. That's a big change for them. But if they've got other products in the line, if they still sell the the 8 and they've got this new thing, 9 or whatever they call it, and then they've got the new 10s. Like, they've still got a product spread there. There is a question over time, like, how do they do it? But, like, the SE, similarly, which hasn't been updated in a while, but the SE is the same thing, where it's like, they can call things the SE and just increment the year and still... So eventually you may end up in a scenario where instead of this trickle-down of old products, maybe this is a four-year deal where they're in the middle of it now, of migrating to this. They have different iPhone models that change every year yeah. at different price points, which means that you're buying the latest and greatest of the iPhone SE instead of buying a three-year-old iPhone. And I think for some people that might be more appealing to be like, I've got the 2018 model iPhone SE instead of, yeah, I've got the 2016 iPhone. That's all I could afford. Like it, it, it feels better to have the latest low-end model, I think, rather than the high-end model from three years ago. Yeah, and the other thing that is specific to iPhone, and only iPhone, at least in Apple's world, although the watch might be close, um, is that it is It is pretty, pretty regularly annual. And it has been since the iPhone right. 5, I believe. The 4S was the one that came out in October, uh, right after Steve Jobs died. And then ever since, it's been like first or second Tuesday or Wednesday in September every single year. And no other Apple product is like that, right? Even the iPad isn't as annual. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, the iPad Pro that is, but Pro models that are currently for sale are both well over a year old. And there is, to me, something to the, you know, and the iPhone is obviously the most important product Apple makes by, you know, any measure you could possibly measure. And so having that, you know, unique new, this is obviously the latest and greatest name every year might factor into that to some degree, because it, you know, it's not meant to sit around as the top tier phone for 18 months or 24 months, but I don't know. It's, I'm sure there are lots of branding experts out there who who are uh, have lots of opinions about what Apple should do with this product since it is one of the most successful products out there. I I do look at the Apple Watch and think with the Apple Watch they've managed to do something where it's always Apple Watch, mm-hmm. but there is a tag to it that yes. changes. Right, and, right, and, and in some ways I feel like that's the ideal. Right. But, but, you know, maybe with something that's more computery, you don't need to do that. And something with fashion, you do. But like the beauty of the Apple Watch Series 3 is that it's an Apple Watch. People don't look at my Apple Watch and say, oh, is that the Series 3? They say, oh, you have an Apple Watch. And which one is it? And I say, well, this is the one with GPS, or I say, this is a Series 3. But, and it's on their website. It's like Apple Watch Series 3. But it's the Apple Watch. The name is still Apple Watch. The number is. A tag. It's a it's a subhead. It's not the product name. Right. And I don't know. Is that where Apple wants to go with the iPhone? Like, would they really rather it be the iPhone series something or yeah. iPhone some other kind of uh, like sub subhead, a little like secondary name for it that tells you what model it is? Or again, the simplest thing is it's this year's model. This is the new iPhone. 10 for 2018 it's it's what's what's amazing about this and is why sometimes i'm very 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 happy to not be one of the people in the room at apple it's like this product is so important to their business and it's like don't screw this up guys right Right. like every marketing decision they make and naming decision they make is potentially a billions of dollars mistake and you know we talk about how weird the mac laptop line has been but like Apple can survive some weirdness in the Mac line 
Apple, I mean, they can survive anything, I suppose, but Apple does really does not want to screw up the iPhone. So you got to do it right. And I, that is, there's probably a lot of pressure in everybody in Phil Schiller's group who sits around talking about how these things are going to get branded. <laughs> I, I, after the event last year, I, I did speak to Schiller briefly and I joke because I know he reads my site and I know, or at least he reads it like before an event like that. And I just broke the ice by saying, oh my God, I was hoping it was X, not 10. Uh, and he looked at me and laughed and, 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 uh, and I said something like, I can't even imagine how much thinking goes into that. And he just looked at me and he got real serious and he just says, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I said like, I'm not surprised. I was like, cause it's important. And he's like, it was a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah. The amount of market research, that's the thing people don't, don't really think about, but like market research, Internal testing, worldwide to external testing. research, but worldwide testing too, yeah. because you—it's such a worldwide product that you've got to think about things like, um, you know, which you know, like thirteen has an unlucky connotation in in the U.S. and maybe other Western countries, but you know, like uh, I forget what the unlucky number in China is. Uh, might be eight, though. I don't know because they they didn't avoid that, but. Uh, I forget, but you know you have to look into stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, well, you you don't want a name that it turns out is a horrible reference in one of your major markets. Right, uh, right. You would you'd want to avoid that too. So yeah, yeah, the amount of effort that goes into that. Then again, what I do like to think is here it's like two of us just sitting here spitballing for a couple of hours. Like there are probably dozens of people where this is their entire job. Yeah. And so these these are not, you know, us throwing around a couple ideas between two guys who are thinking about it. Uh and we think about it a lot, but like we're just two people and we're only doing it for a few hours. Yeah. Um fortunately Apple can't afford to and needs to afford to pay people a lot of money to spend a lot of time and do a lot of research to make the right decisions yeah. on this front. And it's fascinating to see when those when those get rolled out. Yeah. But um you know the iPhone name thing has been hanging over them for a while now or for a while it's like yeah iPhone 3 G yes iPhone 4 we'll do that. We're going to just that, that was the moment where they're like nope we're going to count up and we're just going to call it 4 and the next one's you know we'll do 4S yeah. and then we're going to do 5. Like okay that was really good but even then you knew it couldn't go on like that forever. Yeah. And how do you get off the, the carousel? And right. maybe they're getting off of it now. Maybe they're not. Maybe they'll be iPhone 11 and we'll be like, all right, here we keep going. Real-time follow-up. The unlucky number in China is four. So they obviously use that. But I wonder if I wonder if China Chinese sales of iPhones at that time were low enough that they... That they, they weren't as worried. Weren't as worried. I, yeah. I wonder. Because um, Chinese iPhone sales didn't really take off until a little bit later. Um yeah, I don't know. And the other advantage advantage that Apple has internally at coming up with these names and the the weight that hangs over their necks strategically thinking about it is that they also have the advantage of knowing the roadmap. <laughs> that, yeah. You know, like right. so for example, the the iPhones for next year are already set. I mean, there might be minor minor things that are that are still up in the air, but at this point on the calendar, the iPhones that are coming out 13 months from now are effectively set or mostly set. 
right. very, very they close. To, they have to get the contracts for the components right. it and is, the suppliers, and it's yeah. It is. I'm I'm of the. I've beaten the drum that the lead time on iPhones is longer than most people expect. You know, like last year, it came up over and over again because there were these bizarre reports that came up in July that Apple was still trying to integrate a a fingerprint sensor into the iPhone 10, which it it, number one, it wasn't true, but number it's impossible as late as July. It just isn't is not possible. you know the the only counterexample I can ever think of was the iPod Touch that was supposed to have a camera. I think it was an iPod Touch that was supposed to have a camera, and then at the last minute they took the camera out. But they could do that at sort of the last minute because it didn't really mean re-engineering anything. They just didn't put the camera in and kept the aluminum back from yeah. getting drilled where the camera hole would be. Yeah, there was still there was still like all the hole where the thing was supposed right. to go and on the circuit board and all that, and it right. just wasn't there. And right, like and Apple Watch was like that, where they had like extra like an extra port or something that was yeah. going to be able to connect to like smart watch bands. And they're like, Nope, we're not going to do that. And right. they took it out uh, fairly late in the game. Right. So yeah, it is. Um, they can take stuff out late in the game. They can't add stuff like a fingerprint sensor late. Right. In the game. No way. And the branding stuff probably is a conversation that's, that's got some ebbs and flows, but also right. they know what the product map is. Right. And this takes us, it's funny here at the end, takes us all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, which is like the Mac laptop stuff. Um, that's what happens when you look at a roadmap and you think it's going to be one thing mm-hmm. and you make those naming decisions. You're like, we're going to call this MacBook. MacBook Air is going to go away. We're going to do that. And then something happens and you're like, oh, but we made these decisions based on an assumption that turned out not to be true. And now we have to figure out how to you know, navigate that. Right. And, and that's the flip side of this is that these are things where you make a decision and you're th- looking two, three, four years out. And the long if you can execute it's great and every now and then something happens and you're like oh okay we made some decisions thinking it would be this and it's going to be that and and uh but you're right i think like yeah they know what the iphone where the iphone is going and calling it iphone 10 that very clearly had to be part of the thought process and knowing that this other phone was coming out whatever they're going to call it and how would that fit in and and the other larger model and how does that fit in and then what they do next year how does that fit in like that's i think that's really cool that would be a really cool job to have i'm just saying i'm not sure i could sleep well at night if the weight of all iphone sales and marketing was on my shoulders so um i you know i hope I hope that uh, Phil Schiller has a really good uh, Casper mattress is what I'm saying. (laughs) All right. That is a perfect way to bring it full circle. Jason, I thank you for coming back. Thank you. I'll have to have you on in uh, a year, 23rd or 24th (laughs) of August, 2019. Uh, Everybody can read your writing at uh, six colors, spell, spell the colors, whichever way you're comfortable with Mm -hmm. com. And you've always got links to your writing around the web at places like Macworld. And uh, I just saw your byline at uh, Tom's hardware. Yeah. Tom's guide. Yeah. I'm I'm writing, I'm writing sort of iPhone stuff there every couple of weeks for Phil, my old uh, pal, Phil Michaels from Macworld works there now. So I'm writing for him uh, every other week too. You're good at this. You should do like podcasts. You know, po- yeah, podcasts are well. You know, you you and I have had that conversation that now we you know we think of ourselves as as writers, and uh, now we're kind of podcasters who write on the side. But uh, that that works. Uh, among the podcasts that you do, there is uh, 
there's upgrade, which I think you just mentioned, right? Yep. With Mike Hurley over at, uh, where, where's the, what's the URL? Uh, relay.fm slash upgrade for that one. Uh, and then, uh, the incomparable.com for all my other nonsense. The pop culture ones. Boy, you could, yeah. you could lose some time on the incomparable.com. You, you could. You could. It's uh, like hundreds of episodes now and then other shows, <laughs> and it just keeps going and going and going. Well, my thanks to you. I, I really still blown away by, by the annual nature of this particular episode of the podcast. <laughs> I guess it's, you know, your thoughts turn toward the Apple event. And you're like, ah, let's speculate with Jason. My, so guess, here is, we are my guess is I'll contact you a year from now and I won't remember <laughs> yeah. that, either, that this has happened either of the well, previous two years. I can't wait to talk about mechanical keyboards and, yeah. and, uh, and keyboard testers again yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, and my thanks to our sponsors for this episode. Uh, we had Casper Mattresses, uh, Trace Pontas Coffee, and Squarespace, where you can build your own website. My thanks to all of them, and thanks to you again, Jason. Thanks, John.